So let's go ahead and get started. I just want to say good morning and welcome to all of you wonderful contract education folks out there and those of you who support contract education. It's, it's really like a family. I've uh, had the good fortune of working in this role since 2017, and I don't think I've ever worked with such a collaborative group that is so supportive of one another, that share tools with one another. And it's, um, it's just a refreshing coming from some other industries where that didn't happen. I'm, I feel very grateful for that. I want to welcome you to the Contract Education Summit 2022. And for me, and I think for Faith, it's hard to believe this is our third year of doing this virtually. Because we remember in 2020 when we were planning to do it on the ground and we were going to do it in San Mateo. And all of a sudden the reality came to us like, we can't, we cannot do this on the ground. We're going to have to do it virtually. And, you know, it was new to all of us. But now we Zoom in and out all day long, sometimes in the evening, sometimes on the weekend. So Zooming is now a verb that we all use in our daily uh, vocabulary. So again, thank you for joining us on another Zoom call in what I know is probably a daily slew of them. An event such as this does not happen without a dedicated team. You know that. Um, I'm very fortunate to work with the most amazing team members that have collaborated, collaborated to bring you today's event. First of all, Faith Riley, you know Faith. Um, she is our CETAP part-time project specialist. And I say she's really the glue and you can tell she keeps us rolling along and again, several steps ahead of it. And it, it just goes flawlessly because she's right there looking at the details. Faith created the invitation and registration site and coordinated the development and the delivery of your welcome kits. So for those of you, anybody have their mug with them? Let's all show our mugs if you have them. Here's Yay, I like yours, Mariah. Great, everybody. Good. So these are insulated. They're supposed to keep things hot and cold for eight hours. I've got my, I've got my water in here. You may have a different beverage in yours. Some people have tea. Some people may have coffee. I just want you to sign in and then I'm gonna take my video off because the real part that I need to be involved in doesn't start till 9:30. So you know how that is. You just kind of so they can see that I'm I don't know, I'm muted. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So that was the thank you, or that was the welcome kit. You should have received your skinny popcorn, and this is for your snack during the time together. And because we couldn't do this on the ground, we just wanted you to have something that says welcome and that we care about you and we know you're here with us. So thank you, Faith, for all that you do for not just the statewide TAP, but for each individual unit as well. I appreciate you. Our team started meeting eight months ago to begin planning our virtual summit. We have strived really hard to make an agenda that's full and rich of information for you that's interactive for you. So I want to acknowledge the dedicated work of our advisory board members. I'm going to read these off so I don't say them incorrectly. Madeline Arba. You muted, muted Margaret. Oops. Margaret, you went on mute. Sorry. Oops. Okay. Did you hear uh, Lori Kosky of San Diego? 
No, uh, I think you need to no. start over. <laughs> okay. Can you start you over, Martha? Case muted, everybody. I'm so sorry. It's okay. There were so many so, beeps coming in, so no sorry. No worries. So I just wanted to acknowledge the dedicated work of our advisory board members, which is Madeline Arbio from Mount San Antonio College, Jonathan Bissell, who just left San Mateo Community College District to strike out on his own, Lori Kosky of San Diego Community College, Deanna Crabiel of San Bernardino Community College, and then I wanna acknowledge Paulo Madrigal. Paulo has retired from San Antonio, but he was a real integral part of our, our advisory board and we miss him. John Milborn, you might know John from College of the Canyons. He's taken on a larger role there as the interim vice president for workforce and economic advancement. And Annie Rafferty of Butte College, and also David Teasdale of Kern Community College. And that's our advisory board members. We appreciate them so much for their advice and their input as we carry out the, the daily work of the community, um, excuse me, the contract education tap. As each of you work diligently in your individual districts, providing training to incumbent workers, you help businesses thrive. You help your communities thrive. And that domino effect is that our state thrives. So I just want to acknowledge that. And when you do that, we all achieve. And so thus our theme for today and the theme for maybe the year coming forward is contract education achieves. Remember this. And that was just a spirit that we wanted for today. So we'll be sharing success stories about innovative programs, profitable programs. So those of you who may be starting out in contract ed can hear those um, stories and be you know, thrilled that you get to take part in that as well. And maybe borrow a few ideas that will help your region thrive and achieve. So whenever you hear that word achieve, take a little sip of your favorite beverage. So, I'd like to just encourage you to fill up your insulated tumbler and take a sip every time and you'll hear lots of stories today. Here's a few of my favorite quotes regarding achievement. From Satya Nari, she says, a little progress each day adds up to big results. The late Maya Angelou shared, all great achievements require time. And John F. Kennedy stated, every accomplishment begins with the decision to try. So I share those again to sort of set the theme for our time together today. For a bit of housekeeping, please mute yourself on Zoom to avoid any background noise. We can use the chat to um, ask questions in faith and I'll be following that during the individual presentations, but you can unmute yourself when appropriate to ask a question. We will break for lunch at noon and uh, restart at 1230. And that gives you time to answer emails, do some personal phone calls, take a bio break, whichever you need to do. Okay, I'm going to begin to share my screen. And here is our um, logo and our contract education achieves. And what I'd like to do next is go over our agenda for the day. We just had our welcome. We will have an opportunity now to go into breakout rooms and do an introduction of each other. But because we have almost 80 people 
that are registered, we're going to put about 10 people in the room and you will do a self-introduction to each other and share you know, what college you're from, maybe how long you've been in contract education, but you're only going to have about 20 minutes or less. So please be brief with your self-introduction. Then we'll come back together at 930 and we will have our breakout rooms, which we've shared with you is room A will be nuts and bolts. Room B will be sales and marketing. Room C will be strategy and approach to developing a CE unit. And you will self-select those. You will not be assigned because we didn't ask ahead of time. We would give you the opportunity and there'll be a, somebody will have to scribe in each of those rooms and then share the notes with Faith and I after the meeting so we can share out with everybody. So we'll have an hour to talk about those topics. At 10.30, Dave Teasdale will give us a presentation on strong workforce round five funding. And he's called it really the three-legged stool. I'm excited to hear his presentation. At 11 o'clock, I'll take over as facilitator and I'll have a half an hour to share with you some ideas about the most profitable contract ed programs. And then also we'll move into 11.30 to talk about the most innovative training programs. Then we'll break for lunch. And then we have a wonderful, wonderful presenter, Monisha Sims from San Mateo. And she's going to lead us in a conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Very, very important topic. And how we can make it the culture and have an open dialogue about leading by diversity, equity, and inclusion. Then we'll have John Milburn, and I think Dave, you're going to be joining him as well to talk about the collaboratives work and an update on our statewide collaborative, all the great things that you're doing for us. And we should be closing out at two o'clock. So that's our day today. I think it's exciting and um, want to go ahead now. And Faith, do you want to go ahead and assign everybody to sure, can... a introduction room? Sure. Okay. In all rooms. Okay. And thank you everybody for bearing with us with technology. <laughs> okay. Okay. Margaret. Yes. Did the rooms open up? No. Not yet. I don't okay. believe so. Not yet. Okay, hold on. Okay, sorry. They're unassigned. Okay, oh, wait, assigned. You don't get to do this very often, so thank you okay. for waiting with us. <laughs> so okay. again, you'll go into the room and you'll introduce yourself, and here we go. Is it? I think if you hit open all rooms, they'll go in. Okay. Is it working? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay, wait, sorry. We're gonna go back. Oh gosh, this worked. Okay, I'm gonna start he over. He has practiced this. <laughs> I, I did a lot, okay. Okay, wait. Okay. Anybody want to unmute themselves and help Faith watch? Assign automatically. Yeah. Okay. That it should it should work because it's letting assign automatically. Open all rooms. Okay. There we go. Sorry about that. 
copy. I don't know what happened there, but okay, paste. All right, broadcast. Okay, I think we're good now, Margaret. <laughs> okay, do you need to do something? Because I'm not in a room. Yeah, oh. mine says that it's inviting me to room five. I thought we were going to get a choice of which room we're going to Not for this not, one. No, that's not for this one. That's for the breakout sessions. This is just the introduction. Got you. Okay. You get a choice of A, B, and C at 9.30. Got you. So maybe okay. we have to hit join. Maybe we look for oh, our got it. join. Join. So everybody hit join if you can see that. I'm just going to join a room. Joining a room will stop your screen sharing. Stop and join.
Hi, Faye. Oh, hi. How are you? Oh, good. Are you, did you, are you in a, is this Belle? Yes, hi. Belle, are you um, in a I already, I already joined a room, but okay. everybody in the room introduced themselves and so okay. they were just so you're leaving done. the room. Okay, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we are in the rooms till, I'm going to close all the rooms at about 925. So if you don't mind just hanging out and waiting. I'll hang out for a little bit. Um, I'm on okay. vacation. So I only, oh. I'm only going to join for like a portion of it. Oh, you're so In sweet. case somebody. Oh, yeah, thank you for joining in. You. Thank you so much for joining in when you can. I mean, I understand. Enjoy your time with your kiddos, right? Yeah, thank you. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. SeaWorld. <laughs> okay. Oh, have fun. Yeah, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Take care. I'm just going to hang out in the background. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we ended, it looks like we ended a little bit early. That's all right. And let me share my screen again. Okay, everybody back together. Yay. And it looks like we've got some new people that have joined. It's wonderful. So how was that for everybody to do a self-introduction? That go well? So I can report out from, from the group I was in, we already learned, I'm gonna say three new success stories. 
three new training programs that we didn't know about uh, were happening. And I was really excited to hear that Modesto Junior College, um, Bianca and Guadalupe are doing some four credit programs. So I'm gonna circle back with them after the summit and find out how they're doing that successfully because that is a very common question across the state on how contract education can offer four credit programs. Well, that's exciting. All right, anybody else wanna share maybe something that they learned in their self-introduction time together? Wanna unmute yourself? Eldon, you. Well, I was just, I was just saying, you know, it's so exciting to see newcomers come in. Sometimes they feel like they're lost, and little do they know they actually bring so much creative ideas to the process. You know, some of us have been in the business for a while. All these fresh ideas keep me on my toes. I'm constantly <laughs> having to go back and learn new concepts. So that's yeah. that's was my share to our room. Thank you, Eldon, I appreciate that. How about another room? Go ahead. I said, true, true, Eldon and I were in the same room, so. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and the one thing I noticed is we did have a couple of newer people maybe that had been in their role maybe a year or two years. And if they haven't had the opportunity to attend a summit, they may not know this amazing support network that they have access to. And I'm always looking for opportunities to help people find a mentor in this business and to find somebody that they can call up with, even if it seems like a naive question, nobody's going to laugh at your naive question. They're going to help you understand it. And yet, while everything is sort of unique at each college campus, at least it gives you ideas from other college campuses, how they're handling it, that might help you to get uh, a new program up and running at yours. Okay, so anything else that anybody learned their breakout or their introduction time together? They wanna, that they want to share? I learned that we are collaborating already with different contract ed units so that we don't have to recreate the wheel all the time, find out what other people are offering, what has been successful. I also learned that there are mark there's marketing help and there's somewhere $15 million. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere out there. So that's what I learned. Yes, yes, yes. If you're interested in the 15, and Rayanne, what a great segue, thank you. If you're interested in that $15 million, um, Annie and Eldon are going to be talking about that in room A. If you are interested in learning some amazing sales and marketing strategies and techniques and just talking it through, we've got Selena Shands, who is the full capacity marketing owner, and she supports the TAP. She supports many contracted practitioners across the state. She is a rock star when it comes to marketing and sales strategies. Selena will be facilitating room B. If you're interested and you're like a, a newer unit and you're thinking about maybe starting a contract ed unit, we've got Rayanne going to be facilitating room C, which is strategy and approach to developing a contract ed unit. 
she and Jonathan had put together a wonderful understand. I don't know, Rayanne, if it was four hours or six hours, it was it's quite lengthy. Was that for Contra Costa? Do I remember the college? We did we did a, a workshop for Ohlone College. Ohlone College, thank you. And so when I'd heard that they had done that, I said, let's tap that wonderful knowledge base and she's going to facilitate room C. And again, that strategies and approach to developing contract ed. All right, so we're going to move on into that time in our agenda. And again, this is so that you will have time to be interactive, to ask questions of some amazing subject matter experts. And what I really would love to ask you to do is pick a scribe and have that scribe take notes during your one hour time together and then email them to Faith and I after, you know, after this, if, if it's this afternoon, if it's right after the 930 session, whichever is fine for you. And Faith and I will be sure and get that information out to everybody. So any questions before we um, get an opportunity, and this is self-select, Faith is not going to assign you. She'll give you an opportunity to join one of three rooms. But any questions before we move on to that session? Margaret, I was, uh, it's Dave. I was uh, wondering it, what if we have uh, attendees who really, really want to uh, attend more than one of the breakout sessions because they're, they're very interested in multiple topics. Is there a way to do that? I do not know technologically if they can come in and out of a room. I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that. Does anybody else know the answer if you can come in and out of a room? Once you've, once you've chosen a room, uh, there that's is why a, we're having, yeah. Oh. Yeah, there is a They'll come back to faith. They'll come you back can, to faith, yeah. You can come back to the main session and then I can re, I can, you can choose another room. That would be the only way. Um, this is Janice. Yeah. Will each session be taped so we could at least enjoy the one we're in? Although wishing, gosh, I wanted to go the other one too, that we could see the others at a later time at our convenience. Again, I, I don't know technologically. We're recording everything, but I don't know if we go into breakout rooms if those recordings happen. That's why I'm asking for a scribe to collect the information and we will email that to everybody. That was our way of getting the information out to everyone. Is Those are good questions. Speaking, it is it's possible to record in breakout rooms if there is a co-host that's been given that capacity in the breakout room. So I can go to the, I can go and make um, the, the very, so Annie, I can make you a co-host and then she can record. Is that what you're saying? Whoever just shared that, is that, is that what is you're that sharing? Mariah? That's correct. Okay, so Annie, I'm gonna make you a co-host. Okay. I'm find Ray Ann. Thank you for helping me through this. Ray and Selena, I'm gonna make you a co-host. So you will hit okay. record. And then let me find Ray Ann. And just some feedback, that's working. The bar has shown up on my screen. So it gives that as an option. Thank you. And Rayanne, you are a co-host. So Selena, 
Annie and Rihanna co-host, if you guys will please hit record when we uh, move on, that would be wonderful. Thank you. See, what a team. I love Yay. collaboration. Okay, everybody. All right, so here we go, Anne. Faith, you're going to give I'm us- I'm going to open all the rooms for 60 minutes, and it'll give you, at the one minute, it'll tell you at the end, you have one more minute to go. So I, I'm going to open all the rooms, and you all should be able to uh, choose- Okay, we're not uh, we're not seeing the three room assignments. Okay. The bottom, right. At the bottom where it says breakout rooms. So click on breakout rooms. I think it's working, right? No. Yes, it, I see yes, people it's moving. Working. I yes, see it's people working. moving. Okay. I, I don't have a choice. Oh. I just see breakout I don't have rooms. A, At the bottom of your screen oh. it says breakout rooms. Got click it. on yes. breakout rooms. Why am I not seeing that? Are you okay, Margaret? I'm not seeing breakout rooms. Maybe because you're a host? Might be. Okay. Um, that happened before. Okay. Margaret, I see the rooms, but I don't say where to join. I see, I see oh, if you see breakout rooms, you scroll down and you can join a room. Okay, I'm going to join... Sales I don't see where you can join. What am I missing? Okay. Do you have the big box on your screen that says breakout rooms in progress? Yes. Okay. Scroll down and you'll see like room. Which one do you want to join? A. Okay. So if you scroll down, look for room A, nuts and bolts, and then into the right, it'll say join. There's a little blue button. Hmm. Can you I'm stop sharing? Maybe yeah, that'll help see where it says join. So see the, do you have a, it says breakout rooms in progress. Do you see that? Yes. I've okay. Scroll, put your, put your cursor to the far right of that box and scroll down and you'll see a oh. blue here that says join. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and join. That's oh. fine. I'll figure it you out. You got it? Sorry. I don't have it at all. I think I'm going to try leaving the whole thing and then rejoining to see. I'm sorry, you guys. Oh, I can, wait, is this Madison? Yes. I can, I can uh, assign oh, you to I one. Know. Which one can do you, you want to go to? Can I be in C, please? Yes. Um, Faith, can you wait, assign it? Yes. Oh, what do you want? Elaine, what do you want? Sorry, Faith. I didn't mean to interrupt. No problem. Madison. A. A. Thank you. Yes. No problem. Israel, do you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Do you want me to assign you to a room? Do you want A, B, or C? Uh, I can. I, I'm looking at it right here. I'm gonna okay. Get, put your sales and marketing. Okay. So, do you want me to go ahead and assign you? Or you'll go ahead and select it. I'll go ahead and select it. Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you. Ah, you're welcome. Alexandra, do you need assistance? I'm happy I, to assign you to a room. I do. What do you think would be A, B, or C? For a brand new person, uh, uh, probably. Well, are you in a new CE department? Yeah, we're in the we're the employer partnership. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and well. um, assign you to C. Then I think okay. that might be a good one for you. Okay. Okay. And then Madison. Oh, Madison, you're back. Oh, Madison, oh, Johnny. Which one did you want, Madison? B also. A. Okay, great. First B. Sorry. Oh, oh B. C. C. Oh, C. Okay, wait. Okay, so wait a minute. I'm going to move you to C. 
Okay, perfect. Thank you. I see. Oh, it. great. Uh huh. You're welcome.
Hi, Mike. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Okay. Would you like to go to the, we're in breakout rooms. So there's A, B, and C. And I'm not sure if you can, if you click on your breakout rooms down below, you can choose a room to enter in. Hmm. I'm looking here. I don't see. Okay. Nuts and bolts. I can assign you. It's nuts and bolts on the subcontracting contracting of 15 million. There's also sales and marketing and strategy and approach to developing a contract ed unit. Is there one that interests you? Hmm. Uh, maybe the latter. The latter. Okay, so um, I can I can move you into room oh, wait, C. Wait, breakout rooms. I can oh. see, okay, I can see them now. So you can select which one appeals to you. Okay. Or I can, uh, I can assign you to the room in which. Sales and marketing. Okay, yeah, let's see. You want to go to C? Yeah, I, I just hit join. Okay, thank you, Mike. Oh, hi, Stephanie. This is Faith. Can you hear me okay? Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah, sorry, I was just oh, coming no, in. No worries. Would you, okay, we are in breakout rooms and I can yeah. assign you to a breakout room or you can choose your, I mean, you can choose your own, but I can move you to it or if you oh, want. No, no, I, I got it. I just was, I, I logged off my old computer and I was joining with my new computer. Oh, wonderful. So, okay, yeah, just feel free to join in either room A, B, or C and then, yeah, yeah welcome. Okay, thanks, Faith. Thank you.
Hi, Josh. Can you hear me? This is Faith. Hi, Josh. Can you hear me? This is Faith. Hi, Faith. Yeah. Hi. We are in breakout rooms, and um, I don't know if you would. You can join a breakout room. I can uh, help you do that. Um, we have. I don't know if you see the breakout room uh, icon down below. There's room A for nuts and bolts on subcontracting the 15 million. There's also room B, it's sales and marketing. Or room C is strategy and approach to developing a CE unit, a contract ed unit. Is there one that appeals to you? Um, let's go ahead and do room A. I am actually out sick with COVID right now. I'm just listening in. So you can, you can are... yes, you can listen in. That's fine. That was the game. What college are you from? Uh, Lake Tahoe Community College. Oh, I've excellent. been a regional director across oh, the North Far North. Oh, excellent. Um, well, you stay for as long as you like or whatever you can do. Um, and would you like me to assign you to room? Was it, was it, which room? C? Room A, I'll just Room listen to for now. I think that sounds good. I'm going to go ahead and um, help you out with that, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you.
Hi, Vicki, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, Vicki. We are in breakout rooms and okay. I, can I can help you with that. We have- oh, That's okay, I'll just wait till they come back. What time are they coming back? Oh, the they will rooms? be back. We have 30, about 35 minutes remaining in the breakout okay. rooms. Okay, I'll come back at that time then, okay? Okay, great, thank, thank you. you uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.
Celia, can you hear me? Oh, okay. Celia, can you hear me? This is Faith. Hi, I can hear you now. Okay. Um, I'm having a lot of problems. Okay, I can I can put you in a. We are in breakout rooms. Um, yeah, I was in B, and um, Zoom keeps knocking me out. I, it, yeah, and I. It's funny, but I don't see your name on the unassigned right now. Wait, let's see. Um, yeah, because I went. I was in room B, and then um, it closed out completely. Oh, it, but it's it's yeah, been I don't failing. Know why. Uh, yeah, it's been failing like all morning, so I don't know if it's my in, connection here or the. Well, you're the only one having an issue that I am aware of. Um, okay, so I, yeah, it could be ours then. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, normally, your name signs up and it it shows up in the unassigned, um, but I'm not seeing it. And normally, I can just uh, I can. Move it's okay. I, I can I can put myself back in B. <laughs> oh, actually, I can move you. I'm going to move you. I'm going to. Oh, yeah. It says you're in B, but it's, you're yeah. not joined. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll go back in right now. Okay. Hopefully, oh, hopefully oh. it stabilizes. And, okay. But it I could, hope. like you said, it could just be the weather. You know, I we're hope having so. Rain oh. here, too. So, oh, I my God. <laughs> I apologize. Okay. Good luck. Okay. Thanks. Okay. again <laughs> okay uh, okay i'm gonna go back to b again <laughs> okay right okay i can also I, I might be able to assign you i'm gonna go ahead and do it on from my end okay all right okay there, there you go hopefully that works
Hi, John. Can you hear me? This is Faith. Hi, Faith. I can hear you. We are in breakout rooms right now. I'm not sure. Okay. We have about 23 minutes left in breakout rooms. Um, okay. Would you like to be assigned? Would you like me to put you in one? I can give you the selection. How long have they been in? Uh, they've been in for 35 minutes. So we have like 22 minutes remaining. So it's up to you. <laughs> I'd, go, I'd go in halfway. That might not help them much. You can be listening ears or you can um, hang low till about 1030 and then we're going to start Dave Teasdale's presentation. It's up to you. Why don't I just like I'll stay on, but I'll just mute my video and sound. Sure. That's and then fine. When they, when they come back, you? I'll join in. I, I, okay. I had to attend um, a board meeting this morning. Uh, so I, I, there was just no way I could be two places at once, but. Uh Okay. Good. Get in now. And okay. sorry about the last minute. I got Mark. Oh Chris. no, we we got your presentation, and I will use the final you know, one. We're good. I apologize. I am trying to get ahead on some of these tasks ahead of them. We, oh, but we just appreciate that you can. You're able to squeeze us in. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I, <laughs> yeah. I was talking to somebody, and they were like, "I can't attend the um, the contract ed guy." I imagine you can't either. You know, too oh. busy. And I said, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm presenting and I'm going to attend as much as I can. But right. yes, it, it is hard to block out so much time. And it's frustrating because this right. used to be normal to, to right. you know, to set us anyway. Oh, I'm, yes. I, you know, uh, okay. <laughs> but I'll take a few minutes to um, sure. do a few other things. And okay. So I've got some notes. I'm still, you know, on my uh, thing. Okay. And, and like, um, like Margaret said, I can take over at that point and run my own. PDF. Yes, you can. Right. Yes. Okay, cool. We're Thank good. you. We're good with that. So you're on at 1.30, right? You remember yep. that. Okay. Yep. So we shall see you, you know, whenever you can. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll be, I want to catch, I'm glad I'm going to catch Dave's presentation. Yeah, and everything here forward. If I okay. have my video off, it's only because, uh, you know, the video fatigue or something, or also. <laughs> no worries. Something, but, um, but, um, and I appreciate those packages, the packs. You oh, guys yeah, 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 yeah. A little oh. something. Yep. Cheers. Oh, I mean, I, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> I, I love this thing. It fits in the slot in my car and it came just in time. I was going to go out and buy one because my other one was leaking in the lid. Right. And all of a sudden this shows up. I was like, oh, this Margaret, is. It was yeah. Margaret's idea. She gets credit for that one. I think it was I, a good one. I love it. I take it everywhere. Me too. Hopefully it's if Yay. people ask me. You know. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I, excellent. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay, great. Great so to see you.
Luann, this is Faith. Can you hear me? I can. I've had to dip in and out. Sorry. Oh, no problem. They have two minutes or so left in their breakout rooms, and then we're going to start something new. So do you just want to? Um, I'll wait? just hang out. I'll just okay. hang out here. Hi, John. Okay. Great. John muted himself, just so you know. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I see that. I just Hi, hi Luann. I'm here. I oh, just he's... muted. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I'm good. All good. Excellent. Thank you, you for unfortunately I'm gonna be popping in and out most of the day, but um no well, problem. I wanted yes. to hear this one. So thank yes. you, Faith. Not a problem. Great. Hi, Dave. Welcome, Dave. <laughs> Should I go, I go ahead and share my slide now or? or? Sure. Uh, well, sure. Um, they have like 10 seconds left in the breakout room and then Margaret will lead, okay? Okay. Thank you, Dave. Wait, Faith, we're having a, are we having a share out? Uh, uh, no, you're, you're on next. Okay. Margaret's on mute. Okay, Margaret. 
Dave, I'm sorry. Let me un- let me stop share. Yes. And you can go ahead and share. But I was going to introduce you. So that's what I was doing with this. <laughs> sorry. All good. You're so you're together. So, but we're not, we don't need to share out from the break- breakout. So we're going to go right in. Yes. We're not going to share out. I had asked people to scribe, type up the notes. I hope everybody had a scribe in their room and that they will send those notes to Faith and I, uh, Rayanne and um, Annie and Eldon, if you have a PowerPoint, please be sure and email that PowerPoint to Faith and I, and we're going to put everything in a Dropbox. So I hope you enjoyed those breakout sessions and that the topics cultivated great discussions. I was in sales and marketing and it certainly did. And I think one of the things that I left with was that there is a strong amount of support for one another. Sometimes you feel like you're a lone survivor on an old raft that has a lot of holes in it. And I just want you to know you're not, please know you're not, and that we have answers for you or we have ideas of things you can try to deal with the unique challenges that Contract Ed presents. I wanna thank again our facilitators, Annie, Eldon, Selena and Rayanne. You guys did, I'm sure, a great job in your individual rooms. Our next facilitator is Dave Teasdale, who is the Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development Programs at Kern Community College District. Dave's passion is to help students discover careers that interest them and to connect those students with employers who can benefit from the students' knowledge, skills, and creativity. I know I'm excited to learn more about this funding program and I'm grateful for Dave's willingness to share his extensive knowledge. So without further ado, Dave and his three-leg stool. Cannot wait. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Margaret. And uh, I kind of threw Margaret a curveball with the uh, title of my presentation since in the agenda, I'm supposed to be talking about uh, strong workforce funding for contract ed from Strong Workforce Five uh, and beyond. But I think you'll see how this fits. Uh, this is, uh, I repurposed this from a presentation that John Milburn and I made to the South Central Coast region. And really what this presentation is, uh, is, is directed to those folks who control the strong workforce funding from the chancellor's office at your colleges. So it's a, it's a way about uh, talking to them about contract ed and how the, your contract ed division can uh, can coordinate, collaborate, and partner with the traditional credit and non-credit uh, arms of the college. And uh, so that is why I have titled it Matching the Needs of Both Employers and Students. Right, so we have three uh, aspects. We're used to, call, uh, to credit, and that really dominates most of the conversations at, at most colleges. Um, non-credit is becoming much more Uh, popular and much more prevalent with the uh, addition of career development uh, or uh, career development college preparation classes, which have uh, apportionment uh, at or near the full rate of credit. And then there's not for credit. We we call it contract ed, but really uh, in the ed code, it's all those things that don't receive direct apportionment from the state of California. So credit and non-credit get apportionment like we talked about, and they follow the college uh, district district, uh, curriculum process. Um, They have the advantage of being transferable, uh, and they uh, have with them some cachet as being uh, credible. 
Um, and then the non-credit has the advantage of affordability and repeatability. There's limits to what we what credit classes we can repeat. Non-credit classes we uh, are able to repeat, and there it's easier for for uh, most of our students to access. But neither can be developed and implemented particularly fast. So I will tell you at the colleges in my district, it is easily a full year to get curriculum through the uh, full approval process, maybe longer than that. Um, we have had some record-breaking paces that have taken nine months. And uh, those of you that work closely with employers and their needs, that's not working at the speed of industry. Okay, so it's allowed by ed code. And a lot of times we need to remind our, uh, uh, our partners on the, uh, the traditional, what we call academic side, that it is written into the ed code. It does not receive apportionment from the state. That means someone else is paying for it. But it can be customized to meet the employer's or client's immediate needs without having to go through that full curriculum review process. And it can be developed and implemented quickly and modified on the fly. It can now be funded ever since Strong Workforce 5, and we're in six now, it was, it was not approved for funding in prior versions of Strong Workforce funding, and it now can be funded. And it's a recognition that our curriculum approval processes at our colleges uh, are delayed, and it makes it hard for us to meet the needs of existing job openings with targeted training to fill those positions in, in the short and intermediate term. By its nature, it focuses on short-term workforce training, and that's how it's written into the guidance for strong workforce. It must be linked with one proven employer partner. They must have de demonstrated job vacancies, and they must submit a verification to the chancellor's office. Now, they, we must, if we use, use strong workforce funding, verify to the chancellor's office, including the number of individuals served, the completion rates, and the placement rates. We also can use employment training panel funding, and we talked about that in our breakout session, and that will come up uh, um, throughout the day as another way to fund contract ed. And we have the community college funding pilot partnership with ETP that allows us to do funding for nonprofits, municipalities, public safety departments, education, and public agencies, which were not previously eligible. Uh, priority manufacturing, healthcare, agriculture businesses have been eligible for ETP funding uh, throughout uh, at least my 13 years. So I say we, because we wrote this with John, but I think we also applies to a lot of the folks uh, here who are part of the collaborative. We look at it two ways. It's a way to meet the very specific training needs of an industry partner, which does not match our course delivery or curriculum development system. Our, a lot of our industry partners don't need to start training at the beginning of a semester. Uh, they need to start training in a, in a few weeks uh, in a lot of cases. And we're able to meet that through this de delivery modality. We also look at it as the research and development branch of the college. It is uh, a lot, less risky to take on a contract ed training um, for a specific client with a specific number of trainees rather than develop a whole program and find out 
that only this one employer with 15 students a year needs it, uh, right? And so this is a way to establish the uh, actual demand for a program in some cases. But it's also very importantly, a really important way to keep industry partners engaged. And so in our, uh, in our um, ETP uh, subcontracting breakout session, the question was brought up for those who are starting a contract ed division, what is, how long does it take to get to that break even when it pays for itself and, and you can afford that staffing? And I wanna say it takes a lot less time if the person who's doing it is uh, an employer engagement person who is engaging with employers around those other employer engagement activities at colleges like internships, job placement, who also has another tool in their bag of tricks, which is customized training and contract ed to meet their, their needs. And so if you leverage that person, you're going to be able to, to get to that, uh, that place where that, uh, the contract ed revenue you're bringing in more than uh, meets the cost of the person who's out there driving that business. Um, an example of it being R&D, uh, worked with John and Justin um, about the College of Canyons Facility Management Certificate, and it's launched in contract ed while it was being developed. They needed to give their, uh, their uh, faculty time to, to live with the curriculum, to determine how they wanted to do it, but they wanted to be able to offer it and meet a very specific industry need as expressed by uh, industry, so they offered it as, as contract ed um, with, with a primary focus on their incumbent workers or their existing workers. The association is called the International Facility Management Association. Um, and this is an opportunity to improve, do proof of concept, right? And it could also be uh, used to inform what the credit and non-credit curriculum, timing, delivery and modality needs to be. So by being able to quickly pivot to offering a requested training for employers, you can be seen as a solution to their current worker training needs. If you're a solution for an employer's current training needs for their current employees and improving their overall success and productivity in the short term, they're going to be more likely to be involved in your job fairs and job placement activities. Uh, in internships and apprenticeship discussions, you're keeping them at the table because you're meeting them where they are. And that allows time for us to develop our sustainable programs in credit or non-credit uh, that may uh, have that apportionment and may be able to support them in the long run. And this is, a, this is an opinion. Um, I, uh, I will debate you if you don't agree. Our curriculum approval process takes too long. I'll just state it as something that I believe is a fact. <laughs> um, and uh, we wanna be a partner and we wanna provide solutions. And when we tell an employer that it's gonna take 18 months to get that program started, we haven't really solved any problem for them. And an underestimated one for those of you colleges who like to write grants and bring in grant funding and grant funding can be, uh, contract ed, not per credit, right? Is they're very, very generous with their support letters if you're meeting their current needs. So hopefully, and like I said, the audience for this, and you guys can steal shamelessly uh, from this. I have a big uh, 
belief that I'm primarily funded by the uh, taxpayers of California. And so all of this intellectual property actually belongs to the people and not to me. Um, and I'd be happy to consult with any of you if you need to make a pitch to your deans about freeing up some of the strong workforce funding uh, for contract debt. And here's a, here's a little secret that a lot of your uh, deans may not be forthcoming with, but I've worked with two regions and I have known this to be true for five rounds of strong workforce funding. Most colleges can't get through their strong workforce funding. They have money left over. It's starting to expire. I bet you there's a lot of creative people here who can find a solution for an employer partner that could show good results because we're really good about providing data of completion and results uh, that can be put into LaunchBoard. Uh, and now you have uh, a fan in that industry partner who's willing to stay at the table and be engaged with you. So um, I had promised Margaret I would move through my slides quickly. Uh, she thought that this was something that would be better served in a discussion. So I don't know, I think I met that, uh, that uh, objective, right, Margaret? Of course you did. <laughs> you did a fantastic job. And thank you so much for that presentation. I, I love it because you put things eloquently and simply, but you hit the nail on the head because it is sometimes a conversation with your administration about accessing those funds and then telling the story and um, advocating for why contract ed is the solution. I have my contact information up there. Please feel free to reach out uh, to me. We had a request in our uh, breakout session for introductions. Uh, that's what uh, some of the new people said is they would like to have a list to reach out to. I've had uh, several mentors uh, in this group that have helped me gain comfort in this area a lot. So uh, please feel free to, uh, to reach out and do that and understand that we are a community of practice. Um, we joke here, we call ourselves uh, the island of, of misfit toys uh, in contract ed and workforce development uh, because uh, the, the, the college doesn't get us, but I, I you know, I'm like, I'm, um, you know, I'm like that pet who knows that that person doesn't like animals and is going to keep trying to convince them that that uh, they can partner with us? And it's really worked. I when so for those of you who have that situation, I had a very contentious relationship with Bakersfield College, which was the main college in our district when I first started, and I have a really great relationship with them now. They refer business my way. I'm seen as a partner and somebody who who provides solutions. Uh, and it just took some tenacity and it took the willingness to step, be, go beyond halfway and say, how, what can I do with, what, with the resources we have to make you achieve your objectives? Can I help you with job placements? Can I bring you leads for internships? And when, uh, when you're seen uh, uh, as a help, um, you're more likely to be embraced and that allows these discussions to go further. So anyway, I'll climb off my soapbox uh, and turn it over for the, the group, group discussion. Thank you so much, Dave. I, I knew you were the right person for this and I appreciate it. So we have a question from Linda uh, Kurakawa in chat. She says, the folks who hold the keys to the strong workforce funds in our area say that until state law, the education code is changed, allowing this stream of funding from the chancellor's office, we are not legally allowed to use strong workforce 
even though the chancellor's office has said not for credit contract education or workforce training can use strong workforce. So any suggestions, do we know if we can advocate for the change in ed code? So, so two different questions in my mind. One is what can she do with that mindset at her college? And then secondly, another question altogether is do we know if we can advocate for the change? And um, Katie Gilks, I'm so glad you're here with us. You've got your hand raised. Um, I wanna let Katie go first as our yes. representative from the chancellor's office, welcome. Thanks, Margaret. Yeah, I reached out to Linda because um, that's something that we'll need to have a discussion with the um, strong workforce team because it does not say it's not permissible in the ed code. And so there may need to be some communication or guidance to the regional chairs about what we are allowing in terms of um, strong workforce dollars. So I did reach out to Linda directly and asked her to send me information um, about the region, what region she's representing. And so I'll take that back, but for the, for the good of the order here, um, if the chancellor's office is making that decision, allowing it to be used or the funds to be used for contracted, there's nothing in ed code, like I said before, that doesn't permit that type of activity. And so um, I'm not really sure why the region is holding back, but um, I think we need to have further discussion in our office and I will follow up to find out what is happening there. So. Thank, thank you, you for that question. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. You are such a strong advocate advocate for contract ed at the chancellor's office and beyond. And we do appreciate you so much. So, so please know that. Thank um, you. Okay. I've seen a couple of hands raised and I'm also seeing Annie's uh, chat about if people could share examples. So I, when I see these hands raised, I'm going to go in the order and I don't know if you could also share an example, but Deanna, I'll go with you first and then Dave and then Israel. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for all of that too. I just wanted to share in our region, um, <clears throat> we have an annual set aside of $1 million of strong workforce regional dollars set just for short-term training, which is set just for the contract ed not for credit unit units in our region. <clears throat> A lot of what we're using the funding for is to stand up what we call new programs in, in our colleges, one for an example, um, one of our colleges, Crafton Hills College, is setting up a uh, certified nurse assistant program at their college. And so we got uh, about $150,000 of strong workforce funding to set up classes. And we are running classes right now. We've already done, we're in our third class right now. So while they're going through the approval process, we're actually using faculty, we're, we're doing it at the college's site and we're putting people through the training right now. And we are aligned with business, 100% of the individuals who go through the class are actually getting certified and hired day one after training. But that is just one example of how we're using it. There's another example that we're doing, um, Janice, from Mount San Jacinto College, who's actually here today, has just submitted a program for incumbent worker training with our winery region down in Temecula and is offering a hospitality training program. And all of, she's working with about, I think it's 13 different businesses 
And they've all guaranteed wage progression once they get through this training program. And this is another example of how we're using strong workforce, rapid response, short-term training dollars to serve the needs of our community. And in our, like I said, in our region, we have $1 million set aside for every round going forward just for the, the not-for-credit units to go in and we uh, submit program pro- projects that have to be uh, approved. We do have a subcommittee that goes through that and makes sure and every project has to have aligned with an actual employer at the end of the, the program. Thank you, Deanna, so much. Those are two wonderful examples. Next up, we have Dave and then Israel. Well, first, I think we all should take a field trip to go see the winery training program down at Temecula. I think that'd be a great idea, Janice, if we could do that. It could be a learning lab. um, So, Margaret, I think one of the things that would work, and I can help you with it, is is actually um, pull the language out of the guidance for Strong Workforce 5, which talks about short-term training. And the language is confusing because it says in their not for contract ed, what they mean is not to supplant and support existing contract ed units, but to support new partnerships with employers. But it does; it is not apportionment funded. It is by ed code considered contract ed. That's what ed code calls contract ed is anything that's paid for by someone other than apportionment out of the uh, chancellor's office. It's very specifically laid out what's approved and how it's approved. And I think that that maybe Linda would help you uh, uh, with your administration, but that's the thing, they, what the guidance, they wanted to make it clear, it's not to go in there and supplant your, your current efforts, but to go out and generate new efforts. And it was really intended to support the efforts of employer engagement. Um, and it is really very closely connected to that. Thank you, Dave. Next, we've got Israel and then Annie, and we have four minutes left. So um, two minutes apiece. I hope we can get it done. <laughs> thank you. Israel? Yeah, thank you. I'll be very concise. Uh, actually, Deanna already kind of mentioned it, but uh, a bridge to employment program. Specifically, you can identify uh, one of your programs, let's say it's healthcare um, uh, or manufacturing, and you identify an employer partner that needs uh, a workforce. You know, they're, they're hiring, they can't find enough skilled workers. So you, def- you define what is that skills gap that this employer is looking for. You get individuals that are soon to graduate. You use strong workforce funding to provide that skill training to close that skills gap and get them hired. So th- now you're hitting some metrics for strong workforce. Not only are you getting an employment metric, but also leading to a living wage. And that's what strong workforce also is uh, intended to do. Thank you, Israel. And Deanna, you just uh, looks like you very quickly copy and pasted something in there. So thank you in the chat. Annie, you've got two, two and a half minutes. Go. (laughs) I can just use 30 seconds. Um, I just appreciate this conversation and Katie's leadership around this topic uh, because, um, you know, Linda's not alone. You know, Butte College, we do not receive any of the regional strong workforce funding in our unit um, on a local level or on a regional level. And what Deanna has down in San Bernardino is unique. She has a seat at the table as a, as a voting member um, within her consortium and it's evolved. So I think what's important is the shift and capturing the shift that we can participate and get behind so that as Lori Kosky had asked that question around 
you know, support and new programs and how are we growing them that we recognize, especially in a year where we're focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism that the contract ed units serving the individual within their 20 and 30, 40 year career, they count on our campuses and they are part of our the experience of upskilling. So appreciate your leadership there, Katie, and helping advance that. And I'm sure you're gonna have a lot of people behind you to help demonstrate the impact and the value that it brings to our communities. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm happy to take all of this information and you know, um, trying to understand why there was some hesitancy out in the region. So listening to all of you, it, you know, it makes the case for us to communicate to the regions a little bit better about what we mean, especially when we talk about employer engagement, it's really critical. So thank you for your input, everyone. And if you do have a strong workforce example, if you could type it into chat, that way everybody can see it. Eldon, you have something? Thank you. Yeah, just, just real quick, Dave, I thought your presentation was excellent. It was uh, brought some points to me because we do not at El Camino receive strong workforce funding. And I am working with a project with Hollywood, with TV, uh, digital media, you know, um, all sorts of things that how you described it is, you know, this is a, a brand new program that could easily go academia and how do, how can we get strong workforce funding to, to fund this? So all I was going to say is I know Katie, she's outstanding. Gilks, uh, if there's a way to, to really get that information out to clarify that contract, you know, the strong workforce funding could be used for that, that would be so helpful. Thank you, Eldon. Okay, so this is this is one of the reasons I think I really enjoyed this summit personally is that it really brings up things that we want to talk about together. But because we don't always have the opportunity to all be on a call together, we don't um, get this opportunity. So I will say if this if, if we can continue to type in ideas. Thank you, Justin, for typing in what you guys are using it for. We'll capture those ideas. And there's no reason we can't have a webinar just dedicated to this and maybe have Katie uh, attend the webinar and let us know how she's coming along on the advocating side. So, okay. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Thank you. I'm gonna, put, you. My, I'm gonna put my um, email in the chat. So if anybody wants to reach out or you wanna schedule some time so that we can discuss you know, what's happening in your region and, um, you know, any barriers that you're encountering that we can talk that through. And at the same time, like I said, we will have some discussion internally in the chancellor's office with the strong workforce team and maybe do a little bit better communicating out to the regions what we mean when we talk about contract education or um, employer engagement. And, and Katie, just know Faith and I and, and the TAP are excited to, you know, we can help be that, uh, what's the word I want to use? Not the platform, because you guys are the platform. We could be that vehicle to invite people to come into a conversation about it. And we're very happy to do that at any time, any, you know, any day of the week, we'll make ourselves available to create that space to have the conversation and to create the space to have the education. 
Perfect. Yeah. Thanks. All right. And in closing, um, Luann, I see you have your hand raised. Yeah, just one. And this is probably for Katie. Um, I think Alejandro or, or Ryan or Dill Beer at the chancellor's office may be able to go into Nova and run a, a report, a strong workforce, um, uh, either local or regional report on who, who clicked that button that they're providing contract education training because they have to submit their projects in Nova. Okay. Thank you. Just a thought. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Katie. Okay. So again, trying to develop these conversations in our summit that are stimulating and educating and always trying to have information that's for those people that have been in contract ed for many, many years, as well as information that will be helpful to people that may have started three months ago. So um, this, these are great conversations. Thank you. Now, which I think is really exciting. I hope you do too. We're gonna to talk about some of the most profitable contract education training programs in our state. And I'd love to share these out because I think it can be really powerful and possibly make a real difference in your financial bottom line. I wanna thank all the participants in Contract Ed who sent in an, uh, their answers when CETAP asked for um, you to answer a couple of survey questions. We wanted to know, you know who had the most profitable, pro most profitable programs, who had the most innovative programs. And many of you responded to that survey and that's what we used um, to, to gather this information today. So we um, have selected several to share with you. They're all wonderful. I'm gonna say there's not one that you know, got a higher rating than another, we didn't do that. But I just wanted to select a few to share with you today. And over the next hour, we'll talk about most profitable contract ed training programs, as well as most innovative training programs, and maybe lessons learned over the past 24 months. I haven't said the C word yet today. And I, and I could say the C word, but boy, the last two years has been an amazing learning curve for contract ed folks and for people in education all across the United States, right? So I thought it might be interesting just to talk a little bit about what those lessons learned. And that will bring us up to lunchtime at noon. We'll take a half an hour break at noon. And then at 1230, we'll have Moanisha Sims talking to us about making it the culture, leading by diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm going to ask a few questions of these wonderful practitioners and allow them to highlight their training programs and then open it up for their um, for questions for them. And I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Vicki Mulvaney Trask of Modesto Junior College. And Vicki, are you on with us? I am right here. Hey, Vicki. Look Good at how morning. pretty it looks. Good to see you. You look pretty you today. Too. You too. Good okay. morning. Good morning. So thank you for agreeing to do this with us, Vicki. And what I'd like the first question to ask you is, um, if you can tell us just a little bit about your child development program and or your culinary arts program, because both of those were ones you felt were very profitable. Okay, and there's one more that I can add on there. And by the way, these are all been launched with strong workforce money or with uh, adult education funds. So I just want to let you know that. So it's a really uh, in contract ed. But if I can just say one thing, one of the things when I came into contract ed, I just want to acknowledge San Bernardino 
and Annie Rafferty. They were my, my go-to people when I first started. And Margaret, you were too in faith. So thank you. I just want to acknowledge that first of all. So I appreciate you guys so much. Um, I'm going to, I have Mary Medina here with, uh, with me joining me. She's in this program and, and uh, Mary Medina, we found that there was a definite need in the area of childcare. And we had a lot of people that were not ready to go into our regular childcare classes. And so Mary Medina, if you don't mind just kind of sharing briefly, uh, just a couple of minutes about what the pre PTP program, childcare program is and what we do there. Hi, everybody. So the parent-to-teacher program was a contract um, that we did with our Stanislaus County Office of Education. And we uh, worked with the Head Starts programs because they were having a real issue with filling their classrooms with some teachers and associate teachers. So we developed a contract with them where we offer um, uh, close to the public classes for the core that they need to get their child development permit to start at the associate teacher level. We have since grown to also offer a, a program for them, which does um, general education for them to move up into the teacher level. They'll need their associate of science degree in child development. So they're working on general education. So those are two of the programs that, that we're working with them. For the both of the programs, we do uh, we take care of everything for their students. We do enrollment, matriculation, orientation. We um, purchase their books. We deliver it to them. We contract the instructors. Uh, we follow through with case management just to make sure that they're passing their courses. If anybody's having any problems, we're able to do some early intervention and offer some resources to help them get through the bumps as they go through the classes. So that, those two programs have been very successful. We've had um, almost a 99% um, completion rate for both of those programs. We very rarely lose a student. Uh, the only time we have was due to some major medical issues that were unavoidable and of course not unplanned. But other than that, um, all of our students have gone through and most of them are working in the Head Starts and preschools. The thing that we added this last year that was so successful, we had some strong, we applied for some strong workforce monies because we have a population, English is a second language situation, a lot of Afghanistan and also Spanish speakers and non-English speakers coming to the programs that want to open daycares. So we found that there was an onboarding situation and a need. So we expanded that program and we went into that area. We had a very, our first cohort and it was very successful. Now what we're doing is adding that next layer to that uh, child care so they can further their education. So they're going to go into those mainstream classes. That's why it's that process of, somebody's mentioned it earlier, it's important that you have friends on the college campus so that you're showing a pathway for those successful pathways so they can continue on. So that's the early childhood program. The other program that's been very, that we just launched this last year is we're working with the uh, Central Region Consortium on the Strong Workforce to offer uh, culinary arts. We found that there was a big need in the area that there's a lot of people that wanna do culinary arts, but their programs have been shut down or there's been, there's been a need. So what we're doing is we're actually creating a database of best practices in the culinary arts area in the Central Region. And that's one thing we're doing. But on top of that, we just recently started a, a program over in one of our adult schools. And Bianca, I saw you earlier. Bianca, that program was a boot camp. And we'll just, if you can just take a couple seconds and talk about just real briefly about that program. 
Yes, so I've been, uh, I've had the privilege to work with the uh, adult school here in our local community, and we've offered a program that has had many successful students go through, and there, we are about to have a final celebration dinner next Tuesday, give them their certificates for, you know, completing their serve safe and having all of this um, hospitality information that they've gotten through. Um, it's just been a wonderful experience for them, and we're hoping to have more coming in fall. And the one thing that we're doing, we're using strong workforce money so that we can actually have the onboarding for we can actually have credit classes in the future. As, uh, as Dave said, it takes about a year for those classes to get approved. So we're in the process of doing those. And that's what the it's making those outcomes, those student learning outcomes. One of the other things we did with strong workforce is we started a dental assistant program. We're doing that program that we're just in the infant stages right now. We're doing a launch in August, July, August, Bianca, is that? We July? have a customer service boot camp that's going to be feeding into our uh, dental program. And that the, the boot camp starts in July and our dental program, we're still deciding, but it'll be coming this fall, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. That's called Patch. So there's the three different examples. And so thank you, everyone. I just appreciate you guys so much. Any questions or whatever you want, think, let me know. Yeah, does anybody have any questions? We've got just about one or two minutes left to ask uh, questions of Vicki, Bianca, and Miriam. Go ahead, Carol. Uh, Cara, Cara, Karen, I'm so sorry. No, that's brilliant. My uh, question is, you say on all three of these courses, you're using strong workforce? We're using adult, we're, some of the cases we're using adult education, some of we're using strong workforce. It, it's a combination of both, but the the critical piece is what we did is we brought those different departments in. For example, we brought child care and we bought them as our partner. The same thing with allied health and the culinary arts was taken away from this campus 10 years ago. So we didn't really have a partner. So we partnered with the consortium to be able to start developing those kinds of relationships. Pre-apprentice program, we have another program like that too. And what classroom space are you using? We're not using, they're all, all the instructors have gone through Canvas training, but they're not for credit, not for credit. They're not, they're just certificate programs. But what we're doing is on the, the childcare and also in the culinary arts and also in the health area, we're gonna be using credit for prior experience. The CPR, you know how they can get credit for prior experience. And we're gonna be doing that on the back end. And, but are you using classroom space or are these all online? There's no, no, we're at, these are live classes and we've partnered with like, for example, childcare, they do those classes. Some of those classes were done online because of COVID. Uh, but the, like the culinary arts is actually on a campus, an actual campus location, not for credit. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and then how many hours, can you give me an idea for these certificates or you don't have to do it now, you could put it in chat about how many hours? Every one of them are different. So, you know, what we'll do is we'll provide some kind of, um, Miriam, if you could do that for the uh, childcare and then uh, Bianca, if you could do that for the um, the culinary arts and the, 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 the dental assistant, we're still working on the fine details on that one. So that's a little premature on that one. That would be fabulous. Thank you. They could just drop it in chat. Thank you so um, much. You're welcome. Excuse me, Vicki, this is uh, Suzanne Clark from College of the Siskiyous. Yes, hi. <laughs> so if you're talking not for credit, that's community ed. Um, but my question is what type of certificate are they earning? Because achievement and completion um, are not are non-credit. Their certificate that they're completing is basically those classes that are gonna allow them to launch into the actual child development classes. 
And then what we're doing is we're actually getting their child permit. They're getting those credits for their child permit certificate, which is, Miriam, is it 12 units that they received or is it uh, six? I'm not remembering. I'm just a dean, guys. So that's I'm why sorry. I, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was typing in the chat. So, so for Miriam, as far as the pre, the pre, did they get six credits or 12 credits or they're getting in that area? That's not, and then yes. the English one, they're not getting any credit at all. Go ahead. For um, the child development associate teacher permit, they will receive 12 units. They take four classes of three units each, and those are on campus. On campus, yeah. Okay, thank you. Does that answer your, Suzanne? Does for culinary, yes, they you. would be receiving, upon successful completion of their exam, a serve safe certificate, which would allow them to work in the culinary field. For the dental patch program, what they would also earn is after successful completion of a BLS course that is included, they would have the BLS training certificate, which they can then take to any allied health program or to a dental program, which is required, and it is available for the next two years. So does that answer your question, Suzanne? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Any other questions? We're here, like uh, Dave said, I really appreciated that. Uh, my number is 209-575-6985. And if you need to get a hold of me, never hesitate. Faith has my number and so does um, Margaret. And we're more than willing to share. We love sharing. So sharing yeah. is caring. And Vicki, I appreciate you are responsive to emails and I appreciate that. So thank you so much. You're okay. welcome. Great. So that's exciting. This is exciting. And what we're again trying to do is highlight successful programs in our state that maybe you can replicate in your region, especially for people that are just starting out. You know, sometimes it's hard to know where to even start. So thank you, Vicki, Miriam, and Bianca. Next, we will speak with Israel Dominguez of Saddleback College. Israel is the Director of Economic and Workforce Development. And Israel, could you tell us a little bit about your Lean Six Sigma Yellow Belt program? That's a mouthful. And just tell us a little bit about the program's profitability and maybe how long do you give a new program to prove itself? Okay, um, well, thank you. Um, we, uh, as, as you're familiar with, uh, Lean Six Sigma, the intent of it is to uh, help a company become more efficient, more productive, and more profitable. And that's very important to most companies. So if you can deliver that message and, and say, I have a training program to offer to your employees, your workforce, that will result in increased efficiency, productivity, and profitability for your company, would that be of interest to you? And of course, yeah, anybody with common sense would say yes. But I'll go a step further. So we, we were trying to identify an employer that has enough critical mass in terms of number of employees. And so we targeted Amazon. Uh, and it was hard to get through, but we finally talked to the right person, one of the operations managers at Amazon, and um, had a conversation and uh, had a trainer who actually approached me, said, I have the background that you're looking for. I said, okay, you're the guy. And uh, I said, but you got to knock it out of the park. And in other words, you have to go in there and wow them, be really good at what you do. So they come asking for more. And then I went a step further. I go, if you actually do that, then I'm going to keep you as our solid trainer. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing, sell the program to Amazon, uh, to uh, their different distribution centers. 
And so sure enough, that's what's happened. And I want to also thank uh, Eldon. Uh, I want to thank uh, David Teasdale. I want to thank um, Deanna. All of them I partnered with had subcontracts with their ETP contracts to help me subsidize that training. So it was actually through their help and the, that I was able to keep um, offering this training to this client and help growing it and growing it until we have our own contract, which we do now. Um, and so big kudos to, it was just collaboration. So it's, a, you know, it's a team effort. And, um, but now we have actually trained upwards of about 1700 of their employees in Lean Six Sigma, Yellow Belt. And also we got on to start delivering Green Belt training to some of their employees. And it's been our most profitable uh, client thus far. We have other clients, but I, I, I share that one because of the strategic importance We've uh, expanded to delivering training to various centers throughout Southern California. And uh, we have a number of training sessions every month, except for the holiday months, because they're so busy. Um, and it's just been a great partnership. One of my questions, um, Israel, thank you for all that info is, how long do you give a new program to prove itself? Well, um, in this case, you know, we, we deliver the training and then we assess, is it successful or not? And then after about three months of uh, delivering and getting very positive feedback, I said, okay, we're onto something. This is really good. Uh, it's consistent. We dialed the, the, the message, the delivery, the content to be very consistent. Uh, and then within the company, the, uh, operations manager and director really liked what he was hearing, the feedback and the increased productivity that he began to promote it within his, uh, the company of Amazon and to other distribution centers. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you for that. Any questions for Israel? Israel, I, I have a, a question for you. Um, with, uh, I'm a little bit familiar with Six Sigma training. Usually you have to do a project to get your belt, are you are you working with your companies to do that, or uh, do you have a master trainer that's working with them, or how's that being? We have a master be? trainer that's working with them, and when we do uh, the yellow belt's just introductory, okay, right. and then they once they uh, want to go to the next level, either green belt or black belt, then we do take a specific project that's specific to their company and apply it because that's the only way they're going to learn something, right. Supply to that specific uh, project. We've delivered the same training to other companies and manufacturing, and we typically take on uh, a, a specific project that they're working on and apply the concepts to that project. And does the master, does your instructor then follow the project through and, and approve them for their belts? Yes, they get certified. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Any other questions for Israel? Okay. All right. So that was another um, most profitable program that I think it's really exciting to hear about. And, and I love it, Israel, because you don't have to be afraid to go after the big guys like Amazon, right? You know, I mean, maybe you cut your teeth on another smaller company, but when you, when you feel confident and you know what your curriculum is, is really good. You've got the right subject matter expert to help you train. It's okay to go after the big guys too. I think that's exciting. 
Yeah, I'll just comment on that. Uh, another training program just briefly is geometric dimensioning tolerancing. We delivered that to various companies. Uh, sometimes we direct invoice employers, sometimes we use ETP funding, but that's been proven to be very much uh, a needed training. Uh, we took it, we offer it in our advanced manufacturing program. We tweaked it, we condensed it, shrunk it down instead of semester. We got it down to about 24 hours. And we look at what are the pain points with a particular employer and customize it for that particular employer. But that GDT is one of the programs that's most sought after down here in Orange County with a lot of manufacturing uh, clients. Okay, thank you, Israel. Wonderful job. I really appreciate you sharing your programs with us. Next, we have Eldon Davidson, the Director of Contract and Community Education at El Camino College. And Eldon, if you'll share with us a little bit about your blueprint reading program, and again, maybe what formula you use to determine its profitability and how long did you give it uh, as a program before you knew it was gonna work out for you? Well, you know, one thing I noticed about being in contract ed, you know, the demand of courses vary from year to year, but blueprint is not one of them. <laughs> It's always been a consistent, consistent uh, number one requested course. And Israel, I agree with the GDNT followed right after Blueprint. You know, I, I will say it was so popular, you know, that instead of having too deep of instructors, two levels, you know, we're having to go to a third because all our instructors are booked out until June. Uh, for Blueprint and GD&T. So <clears throat> that tells you how popular, and I have two instructors now, I'm gonna have to hire a third to fourth instructor to do that. So I think a lot of a Blueprint is listening to what your instructor or what your companies want. I think Israel alluded to that. And definitely that's a basic skill that they all want it. And, and we give the customer what they want. And that's very evident with Blueprint. Oops, you're on mute, Margaret. So how long did you know before it was going to be successful? Did you give it a couple of weeks, a couple of months? I know Israel had mentioned three months for his. I, you know, I don't know that I measured it in that, in those terms. I think the way I realized success is how many courses were logged in for the first, you know, first year, you know, it, it's, it's a staple course, but it wasn't always asked for until, you know, we start promoting it. So mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, really by the end of the year, you know, we knew it was going to be a profitable program. Yeah. And, and Eldon, another thing that comes to mind is, so you think of our state and how diverse we are across the state, right? Think of Susie, up in um, a very small, small area, and then you in the you in the LA area and Israel and Orange County is something like blueprint reading or the GDNT. Is that something that could be offered in a smaller rural region as well? It it could, and I think the pandemic, as bad as it was, was probably our best friend at the same time because we did a lot of things online. And when you do things online, you can 
transport that course to another location to a smaller instructor that or I mean, a campus that doesn't have an instructor. So, so the answer is yes. I think in Blueprint, you can easily, and we demonstrate that, teach that online. Um, I know I reached out to Israel and some other colleges. Hey, do you have an instructor that can help me? Because I don't care. You know, at one time we were probably one of the largest providers of ETP, I think, you know, by far San Bernardino and others have passed us up, but we couldn't keep one instructor busy 40 hours a week if, if we tried. And I think the key is we want to keep those key trainers in our system where we have them. So sharing those instructors is really a benefit, not just to me, but probably to Israel and others. So we keep them in the system. So hopefully I answered your question. Yeah, well, thank you, Eldon, so much. Questions for Eldon? No, I just want to make a, a comment that Eldon just made that we do share instructors and I reach out to our network. Do you have somebody that teaches this or that? Eldon does the same thing and, and, and others. Shafi has reached out as well. And, and so we support one another. This is a collaborative and our success is the collective success. And I think that's the beauty of this collaborative that we have is um, very supportive. We share ideas, we share best practices, we share resources. And, and I think overall that's what makes us successful. And one, one other thing we're experimenting real quick, Margaret, is uh, <clears throat> what we're finding, and this is true with our Department of Defense Cybersecurity course, the level of expertise is so high mm -hmm. that it's going to be difficult for any one college to go out and recruit an instructor. So in that case, we're developing a model that we could have an open enrollment statewide class where each college could offer it as if it's their own but they're going into a shared classroom statewide. So we're looking at that, not just with that, but also AWS training, working with Amazon. Wonderful. And I see in the chat, Susie says, I would love to have a list of online instructors classes that I can offer up here in the hinterlands, which is some of the most beautiful hinterlands in the world, I think. I love where she lives. Um, and Lori Berry, you as well. Um, you know, we have tried several times to put together a list of faculty, uh, fa I'm sorry, not faculty, instructors, facilitators that are, you know, specific to contract ed. And for a variety of reasons, I think some people are hesitant to put their instructors' names out there, their facilitators' names. So what we've offered instead is if you have a need or you have an employer that has a need and you're trying to be that solution provider, is we'll push that out via the listserv. And um, but that see, Margaret, way the way that is, is it's, um, oh yeah, this is, this is existing. Okay, I can do this. But if you see a list of classes, you may see something that you hadn't thought of. Sure, sure. So it gives you a much better inventory. To, and and having, having something like that, because I am such a small area, I could ask my, I could have my employers join somebody else's online class because chances are I don't have enough people to fill a class. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're going with that. Imagine a, imagine a collection of courses for the whole state. Um, and and I, I, I don't have an answer for you right now, Susie. We can think about how we could address that. 
my first my first easy answer is to go to those community colleges websites and go to their contract ed website and see what they're offering. Well, I remember it was, I think it was not too long after COVID, we actually had a list like that. And then I, now I don't remember if it came through TAP or if it came through Annie, because I had this big long list of all the classes that Annie offered, which was amazing that she has so much stuff. Right, but, and she, um, just had an amazing, she has a very good website too that you can look at. So let me, in, in order to keep us on time, I wanna answer, thank you for that, Susie. And let's not let that drop. Um, and, and Vicki, I'm gonna get back to you in just a second because I'm gonna have you kick off um, innovative training programs. But Annie, your hand is raised. Yeah, I just wanted to um, address Susie's ask. And so, and we're doing that with a number of colleges already. So an uh, example would be Lori Berry and I with Shasta College. And um, we have a lean continuous improvement class and we needed 20 people to be in the class to have a meaningful experience. So, you know, we had eight people, Lori had eight people, just to give you an example. And we, you know, cost shared the, the total cost of that class and it was delivered in a virtual capacity. So, um, and uh, Eldon and I are working with the same instructor to do virtual classes. So as part of the strategic plan that we outlined in 2019 is staying true to that plan of being able to have those classes and the virtual delivery that the pandemic brought to our shared community here is, is a game changer for how we didn't operate like that before, but now we operate like that. So being able to work through with different colleges, um, how to have a cost share or sell seats in a class is, you know, is part of a 2022 conversation here that um, we've been working through. And I think is an opportunity to work with um, even our website that we anticipated a drop-down list of where programs were offered and linking to the colleges off of the Upskill California website that um, is currently being hosted by College of the Canyons. And, and Annie, that happened because you and Lori had an existing relationship, right? And so I think what Susie's asking is what if you don't have an existing relationship, how do you know what other people are offering that you could offer to your local employers? To, to jump on board. So, uh, Wendy, your hand is raised, and then Jorge. Yeah, I just uh, was going to kind of build off of you know what Annie said. Um, so, with San Bernardino Community College District, we've had a very long time uh, multiple employer kind of uh, class and training course set up where most of our classes actually are not with a single employer. We actually pull with many of our company clients to build a class together. So we have, you know, anywhere from, you know, two, three, up to sometimes 10 different employers that might've just sent one or two people to build a training. Um, it works really well, especially for our small employers that can't shut down operations to do a full training with their team all at once. Um, so definitely, we would love to explore how we can make that model work, you know, across statewide as a collaborative to also increase for, you know, several colleges to be able to have that be a joint effort, because um, it's worked very well with us with just our pool of employers and clients that we work with. Thank you, Wendy. You're muted, Margaret. I'm sorry, I'm trying to. 
trying to do three things at the same time. So, and, and Karen Lieber is asking, you know, how can we get a list of classes that we can sell seats in? Karen, what we're saying is that list does not exist. That's what, that's what we're talking about right now is, is how we could come together to maybe create that. So, uh, Jorge, thank you. Yeah, I just wanna add, uh, we're talking about popular classes and the ones that are profitable. Just keep in mind that there are some classes that are popular and, uh, and, and probably prof profitable as well uh, for some colleges and not for others. I'll give you an example. I've heard many times about Blueprint Reading and GDNT, quite popular and high demand in the areas where you have a large industrial typical manufacturing base, which is not the same for other colleges. So we just need to keep that in mind. I wouldn't be able to fill a GDNT class or blueprint reading class in Central Valley only because we don't have that large industrial manufacturing base. Uh, so in the end, I feel at times that contract is just like real estate, location, location, location. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Jorge. Eldon, you've got your hand raised. You're muted, Eldon. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, as part of the collaborative strategic plan, you know, having a collection of these courses, I think was a go that was listed in our strategic plan or even have a statewide catalog. So it's in there. And another point, Jorge, I want to write off of, um, that's exactly why the, the statewide global open enrollment makes sense because you may not have blueprint that's not the majority of the requests in your area, but you probably have one or two that it is. So you can still serve that, that one employer and have them be part of a joint session. You know, Wendy, I think it was you. I'd love to take some of your classes and open them up. That's all I want to say. It is in the strategic plan. Thank you. This is a great conversation. I want to keep us on time. Israel, um, has his hand raised. And after that, I'm going to have you go to the chat to question and answer one another, please, because I want to move on to um, our innovative programs. And Israel? Yeah, I'll just be brief. Uh, I have a long laundry list of all kinds of training topics that I could potentially deliver. However, I don't have the trainers. So when an employer asks for a specific training, then I have to just scramble like crazy and find a training through my network. I go th through LinkedIn account, and other contacts, and I have always been able to find somebody, but so it's a scramble. But the way I sell it, I go, yes, we can deliver it. And then I, and the behind the scenes scramble like crazy, but I always find somebody. Thank you, Israel. So, you know, we're uncovering needs. That's one of the reasons we do get together and have these deeper conversations. We're uncovering needs. We don't necessarily have the resources to address those needs right now, but the idea of a list where we could look across the state and see classes that we could sell seats in. That's that's a wish list, and maybe with you know putting our heads together, we can find a way to fund it and make it come to fruition. So, it's a good conversation. We're now going to move into a discussion about most innovative training programs. The last three were representative of most profitable. Vicky, we're going to come back to you. And you shared that you have an industrial training application programs. I believe it was specifically for veterans. So I wanted to learn what makes that program innovative. And also if you can answer the question, what are the challenges with getting innovative programs off the ground and what resources you need or find available to support that program? 
first of all, I just want to say one thing, gap analysis. You don't do anything until you do a gap analysis. You've got to figure out what the client needs. It's not about us, but we, we want to shove down them. They, we need to listen to what the customer is saying to us that they need, and then, then go for, move forward and do whatever we need to do. And the gap analysis goes two-way to the business and industry partner, our nonprofit or for-profit, and also the gap analysis of what we have on campus and our gap analysis that we have with trainers. You have to have that done on that big strategic plan. If you don't, you're not going to be successful. It's so critical. And that was great advice that I was given a long time ago when I went through a learn training that you guys provided, Margaret. And mm-hmm. so I live by those rules. Second thing is you can do anything out of the box. I think the most innovative thing that we've done in contract ed is we've moved into a couple of areas that have been very successful. And one of the programs that we've done is, is Guadalupe with me right now? Guadalupe? She is on my team. And yes, I just, I'm here. Okay, Guadalupe. Guadalupe has worked on a couple of projects um, and we're going to talk about, if we can talk a little bit about get ready, get set, go, maybe a little bit. And then also talk a little bit about the um, a pre-apprentice program that with Frito-Lay and some of those other industry partners. Yes, Margaret, I'm sorry. Could you just five minutes, if you can do this in five minutes, we can. two other people. We can do it. We're speak- we can Somebody do it. said it's speed dating and I love that. So we can do it real quick, just like <laughs> one minute. Uh, just hit on real quick. Okay, go ahead, Guadalupe. So the Ready, Set, Go um, contract is with a Pearson Alternative Center where there are, it's more of a dual enrolled program, but as well, we are offering it to adults. So anybody who's going to that alternative um, school, they, in the fall, they have a close to the public course um, that's um, that they take. And then the spring semester, they take an open to the public course here on our MJC campus. And so that provides them um, a head start into college life, and then they get to explore different pathways that they either want to get certificates or degrees on. And so that's Ready, Set, Go uh, with Modesto City Schools. And then we have our apprenticeship programs with Frito-Lay and Gallo, where they um, do the whole internal recruitment, and then they provide um, the employees that they want to um, go through this training program, and then they take our courses here on campus at MJC. Um, and it also um, gears them towards a um, certificate in especially the manufacturing manufacturing technology interdisciplinary certificate. Um, so that's like a bonus for them, but as well as they, they're getting that, um, the mechanic uh, position at their, at their site. So that is the Gallo and the Frito-Lay apprenticeship, apprenticeship programs. Um, I really appreciate you addressing this. The one thing I just want to stress about this, it's not an I thing, it's a we thing. And as you can tell, it's a team effort. And as, uh, as one of the things we've done is to take the word out of I and it's kind of a we. Whatever that company is needing, whatever that business is needing, we will find a partnership. We, we use strong K-12. We did a career inspiration program with the high schools. We go to our vets. Right now we have a big need with vets and homeless. So we're writing a brand new program for our vets and homeless people. And those are profitable because they have money. And then what we do is we match what we have and take their money because they have a lot of money. And what we do is last year, we did over a million point eight million dollars with the contracts. We were in the whole two years prior, over 800,000 in the community lifelong learning. And so we this, this next year, we're projecting another million and a half in COVID. Is taking the things and working backwards. And Annie, and I saw Becky in here too, Becky and Annie and these people that are seasoned in uh, San Bernardino, I just lean on them because they know the knowledge and taking that knowledge and saying, what can we do? 
what can we not do? And then finding a partner that we can do it with. So profitability is there. We're making money. And that's important in contract ed. That's how we survive. We don't get any money from the general fund. So, so Vicki, one of the questions was, what are the challenges? In the challenges, I think, is capacity having enough people to work for me. Um, we have uh, gone from three staff to, I think we're now at 12, but it's been really challenging to find good quality people and, and, and doing those programs in the air, meaning you're building a program in the sky and then and putting the pieces together and then making sure that we hold capacity bandwidth. So I hire a lot of consultants now. We're looking at consultants. We do a lot of training. We do train the trainer. But everybody has to understand customer service. It's not about me. It's customer service. Yep. yep. Okay. Well, thank you, Vicki and Guadalupe for sharing that. I appreciate it. Next, we're going to talk with um, Karen Lieber of San Diego Community College District and Lori Kosky about their Naval Special Warfare Program. And again, the questions are, what makes this program innovative? What are the challenges with getting innovative programs off the ground? And what resources did you find available to support this specific program? And I believe I'm, uh, Karen, you wanted to show a picture. Yes. Mm -hmm. There you go. Perfect. We can yeah. see it. So Lori, do you want to start? Um, yeah, do you want to take the picture off though? Sure. Great, thank you. And maybe you can put it up a little bit later. I can just give some a little bit of a background. So um, we are in San Diego. Um, the we were the smartest thing we did two years ago was bring on the super talented Karen Lieber to expand our contract education programs. And there is nothing that um, is too out of the box for Karen. She is just innovative when she wakes up in the morning and probably when she goes to bed at night. So everything we do has an element of innovation. And this program, probably the most of any, because we're in San Diego, we have a very large Navy um, presence in, um, in San Diego. And so we have for many, many years supported the Naval Briggs at uh, Brig Pendleton and Brig Miramar. But two and a half, almost three years ago, we got a secret call from a group of people who wouldn't tell us who they were. And they wanted to come to see if we were a real school and look at all of our welding and our plumbing and all those, um, those uh, really construction skills on the ground. And they came and they toured. They wouldn't let us take our picture. They wouldn't tell us their names and they disappeared for two years. Two years later, we got a call from them saying that they were the Naval Special Warfare Seabees. Those are the folks that um, travel with the Navy SEALs and they do construction for them. And they came to us with a problem. They used to have 70 people that they would send to Yemen or Iraq or wherever they were. And they would go in somewhere and everybody of the 70, there would be some electricians and some carpenters and some small engine repair people, et cetera, et cetera. And those people would sort of work on getting what they needed for the Navy to come on in and exist in any spot, either permanently or for a very little while. And so they had decided to cut the numbers of people down from 70 to 10. How do you send 10 people to do what 70 people could do? And so they came to us and said, can you train our people to do a variety of things? And I'm going to 
throw it to Karen, but I need you to know that however she is going to describe it to you, she's being exceedingly modest because this was an unbelievably challenging assignment for us. And I think Karen like brought apple pies to instructors <laughs> to cajole them to do the teaching for what the Navy wanted us to do in this instance. There was nothing that Karen wouldn't do. We've been talking about instructors. There's nothing she doesn't do to help our instructors um, sweeten the pot for mm -hmm. the instructors to um, participate in programs that really are innovative and unusual. And the, the end of the story, and I'm gonna tell the end of the story before she tells you the center part of it, is the CBs are back again. So um, Karen did it right. So go ahead, Karen. So, so when, they, when they pulled the trigger and gave us the go ahead, we asked for 12 weeks to train up 15 of their force. And when we got the contract, um, they compromised with 10 instead of 15. And then they said, you can have, we'll give you eight weeks. But when the contract arrived, which was only a month before we needed to start delivering, it was for only six weeks. So we had to treat, teach six subjects, welding, HVAC, plumbing, um, construction of a building, which I showed just earlier, the electrical of that building, and small engines. We had to teach all of that in six weeks, um, 40 hours each week. And we needed our college to be a partner with us in three of the courses because three of these courses you can't do somewhere else because they're so, they're so intensive with the equipment like welding. So we, we found a window at our college where there was no training occurring. It was at the end of the summer before the fall. So we grabbed those three, we got those three instructors and we have a wonderful Dean on board. So we did welding HVAC and um, small engines on our colleges because we have these fabulous facilities here. Then we don't have a plumbing course. So we found a fabulous plumber who teaches for us at both of the Briggs who we, and we found a, a, a plumbing school that let us rent their space. And then we built the Swah Hut and electrified it, put all the electrical in at the military base. Um, so it was, you know, it was a very short window where we had to pull the trigger. That's what made it challenging. And we had six people that were very busy that we had to move their schedules around to make this all fit. But um, it was super fun and a pretty successful program in that they're back again. We have, of course, some areas that we want to improve on. Um, and we're going to switch up, like teach seven days instead of five for welding. And we, we only need four days for, for small engines, things like that. But here, here is the end result. And of course, the funniest thing is, is that when I was trying to order this wood, I did not have a carpenter. So to help me um, get the numbers right. So I put the the quote together myself and I'm calling a lumber company calling this wood instead of lumber. And, um, and so the, 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 Navy, the Navy, when they looked at my numbers could see that I didn't really have the right number. So they adjusted it for me. And anyway, we, we pulled it off. We built this beautiful structure on one of their military bases here in San Diego. They've been able, we built it in a way where it was collapsible. So they collapsed it. They took three trips, we believe, to move it to another base. And we are using this space again to build this exact same Swah Hut, 
which is 16 by 16, and that was built in 40 hours. And this is, we're not allowed to show any of the people in the class because it is a security breach issue. So these are all the instructors or the administrators in the program, but we can't show the faces of any of the students. Thank and you, Karen, I'm gonna cut you off yes. because I wanna give a minute for questions and then we're gonna move on to our last speed mm -hmm. dating person. This is so hard to cut everybody off, I apologize. But we do wanna, I know I for one, I, I need to leave at noon <laughs> because I don't want to leave you right now. So um, any questions for Karen and for Lori? No questions? Okay, well, you know how to reach them if you do have questions later, if something comes to mind. And thank you both so much. And um, you know, on behalf of the security of our country, right? <laughs> thank you for what you're doing and the, and the groups that you are working with there. Okay. Our last program that we will be highlighting is with Matthew Green's program at Cuesta College. And Matthew, you shared that your nutrition fitness for California Conservation Corps program is very innovative. And we'd love to learn what makes it innovative and the challenges that you might've had in kicking it off. So that, I will say it's an exaggeration. First of all, I don't think I belong in the, in the, in the uh, company of of my colleagues who have presented. And I also want to send greetings to Israel Dominguez, my former colleague, and celebrate his success down at Saddleback. I guess the point I could make is, you know, is to kind of piggyback on what Dave Teasdale presentation focused on, which is the, the three-legged stool, that what we do is bring the options outside of credit, non-credit. So I don't know how many of the people on this committee um, have been part of the Conservation Corps partnership with the Chancellor's Office. I think 10 years ago, they convened a bunch of folks from around the state and said, we're really asking the community college system to be proactive with the your partner or your local Conservation Corps centers. And Tanya Hanrahan, I think was on here earlier and she's a big part of that statewide initiative. So as part of that, the lens that I've always used is what's the modality that that partnership could rely on so that the core members who are looking for supplemental training, and I think there are folks involved in that here. So we started with the credit introduction to contract to construction, residential construction to give some opportunities. We used our Merced customer service series as another one. So their demand of us or request of that partnership has shifted over time. We partnered with them on a statewide training on conservation awareness. The right modality for that was non-credit. So that's an available training for centers across the state that we partnered on. Then recently they came to us and said, we have a mandate to provide fitness and nutrition orientation, kind of the fundamentals while they're getting their other um, required trainings. Core members now required to get a basic understanding in nutrition and, and fitness as part of their year long checkoff of that completion. And our local partner did not know how to do it. So looking at it, the only funding or the only structure that we could do it that would meet his core members availability, as you know, they're, they're on spike and they're gone. So contracted was the modality we chose. We found the funding that would support it. Going to the, 
the challenges then, which is a structural challenge that I face all the time, which is oftentimes the faculty available that are kind of, I think by ed code, we're required to start with credit or start, we have to start with our college trained or those who are in that domain. We can't do a workaround. And there are two obstacles there. One is they may not be the trainers that you want to use. You may know that they're not going to be a fit, but they're the one on record who teaches nutrition. They're the one on record that teaches fitness. So if you go to your HR department and say, I want to hire somebody that teaches nutrition, they're going to say, we already have those folks at Cuesta. You can't do a runaround of the arrangement that you've made with the college. So I just throw that out there. The other is, if you use their credit rate, you're going to be outpriced in the way you go back to your partner and say, now it's got to be $100 an hour at a minimum, because that's what they make. Anyway, so those are obstacles that we had to address. We were able to reconcile that, find incredible trainers. The other piece that's critical to this partnership is because it was for core members, because it was meeting a mandate of the Conservation Corps, it took a lot of prep time so that the content and the delivery of the content, the language used in the content matched both the readiness of our core members and the people being trained, and then the mission of what the state's asking for the core members to be certified in or get trained in. So those are, it's a kind of a small example. We did it, we've done one huge, you know, great positive response from the core members. They want it again, or at least they signed off. So we'll be doing several more in the next um, cycle. But that's kind of the, you know, kind of it fulfills our mission. It highlights some challenges that you face when you're, you know, kind of bridging the other institutions and structures on campus to deliver contract ed. Thank you, Matthew, so much. And it's good to hear from you. Um, uh, you and I have probably not met before. I, I don't know you as, as, as coming to a lot of our contract ed things, but it's so good to have you. I've seen your name today. for years. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to, to meet you over. This, I have to say, this is such an inspiring group and I get motivated. I want to rush in and do contract ed. Now that my landscape has changed quite a bit, I think I'm going to be able to live, to, live up to that next, next round. Wonderful, wonderful, yeah. Okay, um, anybody have any questions for Matthew about this innovative program he's just shared with us? This is Israel. Hello, Matthew, it's good to see you. If you ever wanna have a chat on how to uh, grow your contract program, I'd love to talk to you. I, I will, feel, I, that's, a, that's a deal, thank you, Israel. I just wanna make if a quick you, comment. You have a local, but I know that the committee that deals with Conservation Corps, but if you have a long, local Conservation Corps, they're a very prime partner for at least this one because they're mandated to deliver this right now. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll talk for sure. I uh, just want to comment a little bit. The obstacles and the challenge you face, I face too, but there's a way to work with it. I give our faculty the first right of refusal. And then I remind them, this is not curriculum we're delivering. This is customized training based on an employer's need. So we're going to have to change what you deliver and condense it and shorten it to address their pain points or their specific needs. So this is not curriculum. And, and then if uh, they're not available, then fine. Then I go outside. Uh, I borrow somebody else's faculty or a, a professional who can deliver the training and either hire them as an independent contractor or a short-term, a temporary employee to deliver the training. 
but I always give the faculty first try refusal. If they're not available, fine, I move on. And we've been able to work very well that way. Thank you, Israel. Annie, thank you. You've got your hand raised. Yeah, you bet. I just wanted to congratulate Matthew on your efforts there with the Conservation Corps. Um, I don't know if Tanya's still on here or not, um, but I did want to share real quick. There is a um, there's a map that reflects all of the Conservation Corps partnerships with each of the colleges that IEPI um, project is uh managed out of our contract ed here unit at Butte and uh, Tanya's the project manager. So if anybody's looking to learn more about those programs, you can reach out to Tanya. Um, and like Matthew, there's so many great stories of how the seas um, impact our communities. And it's important for them to meet their objectives as well our services to support them on their campuses with workforce training helps them achieve their goals. So I'd invite all of you, um, I can include the map, I'll send it to Margaret with the presentation so you can be aware of where all the C's are located um, and you could reach out to those centers. So it's a great map with all the little hats. Uh, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, so I'll just show you really quick what it looks like so you know what I'm talking about. And so it says all, can you see it? Yes. Okay, so it says yes, it shows the nine residential centers and the 11 non-residential centers and then the work projects at each of those facilities. Um, and uh, they're reflected in the green and blue seas hats across the area. And then I have the 2021 map where all the colleges are mapped out with all the projects and 2022 looks a little bit different. Um, but I just wanted to share what that looks like. Is there a way to paste that into the chat right now, Annie? Uh, I could try, I but I will also, yeah, it's a PDF, but I'll try. And so, okay. um, but either way I'll include it with the other presentation we did. So it's for distribution. Okay. Oh, I love this. I hope everybody's feeling good about this and just sharing. Any other questions for Matthew before uh, we take him out of the hot seat here? <laughs> okay, all right. So we are done with our morning sessions. Did it go fast for you? Yes. Pretty good? <laughs> good, good. You know, I'm a type A personality. It's really hard for me to sit still. And so I think some of this quick, let's get to the next person, next person. I, one of the reasons we're doing that is to get a lot of information to you as much as possible. We didn't want to have you on the call from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So we condensed it from nine to two. But now is the time. And let me share my screen and get back to my next slide and the most important thing we're going to do today almost <laughs> next to getting back together at 12 30 is let's just take a time to have lunch enjoy your goodie box the popcorn and the wonderful pistachios they put together i encourage you to just if you can get outside and take a little fresh breath and then we will rejoin each other at 12 30 and we have a wonderful speaker um, moanisha sims who i think you're going to enjoy hearing um, any questions before we leave for our lunch? What do I see in chat? We have, um, okay, bye, Rayanne. Thank you for everything. 
Okay, so with that, we're going to stop the recording and we will start recording again at lunch. Okay, so everybody, I hope you had a wonderful half hour break and that you were able to enjoy some of the goodies that Faith sent in our goodie box. Um, I know I got into the popcorn earlier and I've started to work on the pistachio nuts. <laughs> um, but we had a really busy morning and I think it opened up a lot of conversations and discussions about maybe what some of our needs are as contract education folks and resources that we have that we can share with one another. And that's that's one definitely one of the goals of our work together, especially for this summit. We're now thrilled to introduce our next speaker, Moanisha Sims. She is the Director of Policy, Training and Compliance at San Mateo Community College. She also has her own consulting business. She's been trained in over 36 specific areas ranging from disability, discrimination litigation, to hate crimes on campus. And you should see the list of classes. I, I'm so impressed, Monisha, with your training. She earned her Bachelor of Arts from University of Michigan and Masters, sorry? Oh, somebody's, I'm gonna mute somebody. And she um, earned her Masters in Public Administration from Western Michigan University. She was awarded her Juris Doctorate from Western Michigan University Cooley Law School and practiced law for over nine years. She's a very skilled presenter and we're very fortunate to have her with us today to facilitate a discussion on the topic of make it the culture, an open dialogue about leading by diversity, equity, and inclusion. So without further ado, I'm gonna turn it over to Mo Anisha. I know I'm excited to hear your presentation and thank you again for being with us today. Well, thank you so much. And I'm, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm happy to be here today um, and share and have this open kind of dialogue and discussion. Um, I, I have a really laid back kind of like style and presentation. So I kind of just go and flow where the conversation flows. If you can um, allow me to share my screen, that would be fit. Oh, great. You, sure, you just did. Thank you. So I'm just gonna get my slideshow. Great, I can take it, everyone can see my, perfect. So um, make it the culture leading by DEI. Why DEI in 2022? I first wanna kind of introduce, even though I'm giving the presentation because we just have an hour, um, I do want you to know, I work with a team of fantastic people and they're here on the call too joining us. Um, Cynthia Hunter-Lang and Irma uh, Zolf. I'm sorry if I pronounced that <laughs> wrong. I'm just calling her Irma, but um, they're both bilingual. Um, we've uh, we've worked together well. Um, sometimes doing it in two different languages at the same time and create, create an inclusive culture. Um, we have links also to their bios at the end, and they may be you know asking. I'm gonna maybe asking them to participate in some of the maybe the facilitation discussion um, at times, and I'll tell you more about kind of what we do and um, our kind of story as we get to it, okay? But they are here on the call, so thank you, Cynthia and Irma, for being here. What I first wanna start with is kind of like grounds for engagement. This is kind of my, my rule of thumb um, when I'm doing any type of presentation, and I'd invite you to, 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 to if you're not already doing this in your spaces, um, I would invite you to do this in your spaces, whether you're leading a meeting, 
um, anything because, you know, we want to become practitioners in this work. It doesn't matter where you're starting, you're starting right now. <laughs> and it's like, and anytime I do a presentation, I always like, I believe in, even if it's a dialogue, training the trainers, right? To try to focus this, this into your work. So I always say stories stay, lessons leave. Um, we're having a dialogue. I hope a lot of you all share some of your shared experiences um, and why this work may, uh, you know, be important um, to bring to, to, to your service areas. And so, if any lessons are left today, why don't we leave with those lessons and not necessarily someone else's story? I think it's important. Also recognizing safe, safe space versus brave space. Um, some people can show up and you know they feel good, they feel safe, but other people because of um, their lived experience have to show up with a brave space. And that's important to acknowledge when people are showing up brave, they're showing up, they're speaking up, um, and they're not afraid to. And so everyone's safe space may not may be another person's brave space. Take space, make space. Um, this is the area to ask questions. Um, like I said, engage. Um, I hope we make space for everyone to do that. Um, again, I have a very laid back style. So, you know, you can unmute yourself, raise your hand, however you want. Then one mic, and that's just, you know, kind of like, you know, one person at a time using I statements, listen with understanding, and of course, being respectful to our colleagues. Any, um, grounds for engagement or norms that you use in your practice um, that you want to add or put in the chat, I'm always welcome to adding to the list. Or any questions on any? Okay, great. If so, if you think of some throughout the chat, go ahead and just put them in the chat. It's going to check the chat. Oh, open hearts. I like that one as well. That's great. So, um, I want us to kind of talk about, and we don't all have to talk about it, but if you want to volunteer, what led you to your current role with your organization? Um, I know this is a contract education summit, but I, I'd like to know like what led you to this kind of, what was your journey? If a couple of people maybe want to volunteer and, and share with us. Oh, great, thank you. Stephanie. Hi, yes. So I work for City College of San Francisco, and I'm the Director of Contract Education and Extension. And what led me to this particular role, I had been teaching part-time in the business department at the college for a long time and always had um, uh, my day gig, which um, <laughs> sometimes at different colleges, um, it led me down a long path of a government analyst and contract manager in different government agencies. And I found I was hopping around and I really had a, a moment of, of reflecting on what I wanted to do. And I decided I need to stop job hopping. And I was really interested in getting back into workforce training. And as soon as I had that moment of clarity of like, oh, you know, what I really like is um, stakeholder engagement and workforce development, this job popped up. And I said, oh yeah, kind of like that one. And I applied, I knocked the interview out of the parking right am. Oh, great. So you would you consider yourself being blessed with the opportunity, drag kicking and screaming or not sure? Well, which one? Uh, you know, um, I think blessed, uh, depending on the day. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for volunteering first. How about anyone else? 
did you get to your position because you were blessed with the opportunity, drag kicking and screaming, like, how did I get here? <laughs> Why am I still here? Not sure, or a, a other reason. I'm happy to share. Thank you. So um, I worked in higher education for a long time, but my most recent position before coming here was with a small liberal studies university um, that, that had a great core mission, but a high price. And uh, though I was the director of admissions, like it was small enough that ended up just really being involved with our contract education and workforce development, just because it was so teeny, like I wore a lot of hats. Um, and it led to this opportunity. And I definitely look at it as a blessing um, because being in the community college system, I feel like this is the, 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 the area of our state system that supports um, true equity the most and that um, doesn't have students walking away with a ton of debt in order to achieve the things that they would like to have for themselves. It's a sure blessing. Thank you. Yes, very important that walking away with a ton of debt can definitely change the uh, future of your earning potential and, 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 and how you kind of like your financial freedom as you, as you live and plan out your life. So great. Thank you. Maybe one more person. Annie, hello. Hi, Melanesia. Thank you for asking. I would, I would say blessed. I, from a diversity perspective, I lived on the East Coast, worked for a company for 23 years. And when I interviewed at Butte, I felt at home. And at the end of the day, bringing an East Coast Philadelphia culture into Northern rural California isn't the same, but I was welcomed, I felt at home. And so I would agree with Dave and Miriam here in the chat that I feel blessed and appreciate this, how this community and how California um, in general has, um, has that appreciation. And I've had that experience here. Thank you. I appreciate it, and it's important. It's important to to to, to note how um, what led you, you know, where you are now. What was your journey, and the reason? So, what I want to do next is I want to share um, this 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 video. It's a, it's a, it's a video, and it's kind of like a teaching video, um, and then we'll discuss kind of like after why uh, this work is so important. Um, so let me share. This is called, how do I know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know? The next thing they say is what, how do I know what? But the key really isn't to know what the key is to know why, because when you know your why you have options on what your, what can be. For instance, my why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. My what is stand up comedy. My what is writing books. My what can be going out with some friends to eat. In fact, another what that has moved me towards my why is a, a web series that we have out now called Break Time. So every 
Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you should subscribe to the, to the channel. Uh, we do a series called Break Time on YouTube. So 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode. One episode in particular I'm about to show you a clip to. We were in, uh, we in Winston-Salem. So Break Time, this is how it works. I travel the country. I do stand-up comedy probably an hour, hour and a half at an event. And in the middle of my show, I'll just sit down and start talking to the audience. And funny just happens. Or I'll meet somebody who's really interesting. So I met this one guy, and he said that he teaches music at a school. I was like, all right, you teach music, you know, um, can you sing? And then uh, I'm just going to show you the clip. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid, I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved. So here's the thing. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. So I um, really enjoy that teaching video because it shows the difference between what we do and then why we do it, right? And um, I, I think about when I started at SMCCD and my title is Director of Training, Compliance and Policy. And the idea that my background, my legal background is all about compliance. But what I've realized is I've pushed past compliance, grassroots, I've become a practitioner in diversity, equity, inclusion. And you, it's not something that's over there, it's something that should be front and center. And so why have I decided to make it part of my practice? Because a lot of people think, oh, it's something that you know we can just go to over there and not really put forth 
you know, put it front and center. And so through trainings, through presentations, working with the different organizations um, and companies, I've made it a lot of people's why, why they do what they do. And in contract education, especially, you have the opportunity to do that. You all have professional development programs um, and teaching people to make things their why. So just the evolution of DEI, you know, in the 1960s and 60s, it's like, hey, let's just stay kind of out of trouble, 70s, 80s, can we all get along? And then 2000, it's like, wait a minute, this diversity thing's like more of a competitive advantage. And people start introducing inclusion and unconscious bias training. training. And then just looking towards the future in terms of being pr practitioners in this work, um, I think that's, that's, that's the goal. I think, believe it or not, every kind of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, people that do this work, is to like, I hate to say it, but to put us out of business as I once heard, because everyone will have it in their role and their title um, in terms of doing the work. So um, just some key laws that I love to go over um, anytime you know, we do these presentations. And the reason why is because um, if you take a look at some of the laws and what they address, race, color, religion, sex, um, ADA, pregnancy, equal pay, age discrimination, all of that, in the workplace, whether it's public or private or educational institutions. Um, this is like, once you violate these, you know, this is about being compliance, but I, I, I wanna teach people, or we wanna teach you how to become grassroots with this. So you're infusing in your day-to-day -day practices to push past all these compliance um, laws. I mean, even down to the California Crown Act, which prohibits discrimination against natural hairstyles, it had to be a law. So I could show up to work wearing braids or, cornrows or dreads without other people saying, well, that's not really professional. Um, sexual harassment prevention training. So all these laws, but how do you push past that? Because when you're just in compliance with the laws, you're not creating environments of inclusivity. So I think that's important to note. So I think it's different levels and different stages of when we talk about um, diversity. And, and like I said, you can chime in any time um, about this, but at the very base level, a lot of people look at it as compliance. Um, and then after they realize, wait a minute, compliance just isn't enough. It's not really, compliance really doesn't change cultures. That's what we want to do. We want to change cultures and influ influence cultures. You look at, you know, diversity 2.0, saying, you know what, this is the morally right decision to make if we're really going to truly change the culture and make it more inclusive, make it where people can show up as their authentic self and go beyond just compliance. So when you talk about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they are very different things. A lot of times, you know, I know they're, the words always kind of mesh together, um, but diversity sometimes, you know, you can have just a variety of different people in a room. Um, all those protected categories I talked about, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age, um, uh, um, American disability, you know, act. Those are varieties. When you have that type of diversity in the room, the next part is, do those folks feel included, right? Um, no different than you all may space in your agenda today to have you know, this topic brought up, you may space for it, right? And so that's, that's, that's part of starting the conversation of inclusion and how this is in your day-to-day -day practice. And we'll get into the difference kind of, of equity as well. But to really kind of address things, you really have to look at policies and programming. Um, and it's, it's, it's a link, this does go to a link in terms of describing, you know, um, what that means to get a little bit of a deeper dive 
um, including people of, like I said, different ages, races, and ethnicities. So I want you to take a look at diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And, you know, that virus says, who do we need to really check off the box? So as you think of your own organizations, you know, and check off the box again, like that that's the bare minimum. Like who, who don't we have in a room? Who's not represented? Um, and then equity response, who is trying to get in a room but can't? Who has been in the room but made to feel invisible? What do you all think like that means? Like feeling invisible, not being heard. Do you have any thoughts or ideas around that? That, okay, I'm in the room now, but I'm still not being made to feel, I'm still being made to feel invisible. Well, sure, I mean, it, it, it's, it's common when you're the only in the room um, to feel like you're the divergent perspective and can't express what your true, true thoughts or feelings are about something that might be coming up as far as like a policy or something that might not make sense from your perspective. But if you're the only voice and maybe in some cases, maybe the lowest ranked voice in that room, uh, you're for sure in some cases trying to be invisible. Exactly. Because a lot of times people, that, and thank you for sharing that, a lot of people think, oh, well, they're in the room, <laughs> they're at the table, it's representation there. But if you're speaking up, because whether, like said, whether you're rank, whether you're the only, you know, I think about, you know, I've tried to really push for international or not international, but own um, uh, design uh, in terms of around of ADA because the thing about it is, you know, that dip in the sidewalk. Oh, Molly. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt. I could no. wait. Um, the other piece to that, I think maybe the other side of the coin is I'm in the room and others are assuming I'm thinking the same way they're thinking. Yes, I like that piece. And so when, when, when people are assuming that you may be thinking the same way, how do, you, how do you speak up in terms of saying, you know, I'm not speaking, I'm not, we're not all here on the same page. And um, for my, are you asking that for me? Or? Yeah, about, yeah, right. Uh, okay. Uh, sometimes I'll do that with questions, just sort of some clarifying questions um, that might sort of develop a conversation or a line of conversation, maybe. You know, because I, I also don't want to be assuming um, at the same time. So I need to be aware of um, my thinking, too. Right. Thank you. I see market and current as well. Yeah, I've, I was going to just point out, I don't know if you can see Dave's hand is raised uh, with Kern. So I was going to, I'm helping facilitate for you. <laughs> Looking at oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, my comments quickly and, and kind of dovetails off of what Molly said. I think a feeling of uh, being treated as a token so that you only have one thing to bring to the group rather than a uh, a breadth of input that um, should interest the entire group can make you feel invisible as well. Great point, a great point. And so many people do feel tokenized because it, it's like, okay, I've finally made it into the room and now I have to represent <laughs> so much, you know, instead of, you know, my, you know, maybe my point of view. So, so exactly, great examples. 
And so you kind of led into, does this environment make everyone feel like they belong? So when we think about creating inclusive environments, like I said, you could be in the room, but how do you feel like you belong? You, you're able to, even if you are the lowest rank in the room, you could speak up and actually your voice can be heard and implemented and not ignored. And then to think of belonging is whose sense of belonging has been sacrificed to allow others to feel comfortable. What do you think that means? Whose sense of belonging has been sacrificed to allow others to feel comfortable? Well, my mind automatically went to um, the recent use of pronouns in order to allow populations that haven't identified as he or she to feel um, like they belong previously. Uh, I think that, that, that prior to that, uh, they were being sacrificed so that those with traditional pronouns could feel comfortable. So that's just a, what initially came to mind. A great example. Great example. And so, and so these are things you, you should be thinking about. Annie? I think even we touched upon it earlier today. Um, Lori down in San Diego brought it up during in our, in our breakout group of, or maybe it was a larger group of, even language words that we use that either bring, you know, inclusiveness or exclusiveness, not intentional, um, but being able to have then a voice to say, hey, what do you mean? And, but in a larger group and depending on the size of the group and the membership to that group, it can feel less comfortable if you're not tracking or understand, you know, some of the acronyms um, in conversation being Right. No, exactly. This is this is all like and, and, and the more we discuss and talk about this, you know, the more we become comfortable in understanding, you know, um, getting a feeling of other people's sense of belonging and, and taking note of it. Any other lasting like kind of thoughts or anything? Even from Irma or Cynthia? I was checking the chat. I um I was interested in language as well because um, sometimes, you know, when we're in in situations where everybody speaks English, but the, or where the where the majority of people speak English, so you just imagine how people who for whom English is not their native language feel all of the time when they can't understand or they're excluded from the conversation because people don't take the effort to learn whatever language they're speaking or to find a way to include them into the conversation. Exactly. Thank you. Monisha, do you see a couple of hands? Annie oh, great. and Marie have their hands raised. Thank you for helping out, yes. yes. And Dr. Kathy Bakit. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just uh, piggyback on Cynthia's comment there so you can get to Lori and Kathy. Um, I think where this question can come up for us as practitioners is if when we're working with a client, adding to our dialogue the question of 
you know, what is the language that is the first and second language of the learners and trainees and workers in our class? Because sometimes an employer may set up a scenario um, that they intend to make someone feel comfortable. And we don't know if that's the actual safe environment for learning to happen. So I think this is a really good question for us to add to our conversations um, with our employers and determine, is it a program that needs to be delivered in that group's first language? And then as Israel said earlier, we run around and find that, that resource that can deliver that class to meet the individuals where they're at. That, that is spot on. <laughs> and that's how you include this in your practice. <laughs> that's exactly how you include it in the practice. Lori and Kathy. So last week we were um, taking, I've, I've talked a little bit about the military to this group. We were taking people around to look at our um, trades, our welding, our HVAC, our plumbing programs. And there were two representatives from the, mili from the military. Both were people of color. The woman was higher ranking than the man, but our instructors who were men spoke to the men, not the woman, even after they had been introduced to her as the higher ranking of the, um, of the two. And it was really interesting to watch. And of course, as a woman, often in male settings, that happens um, to us a lot. So I really felt for her and, and tried to subtly distract people so that they could make their eye contact sort of more spread out. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're walking the walk too. <laughs> we all Definitely. have to, right? That's right. We all have to. Yeah. I just want to share that one um, tip that I learned uh, in my EDD program is um, whenever you're meeting in a room and some people are quiet because if you're the only one who's quote unquote different in the room, you're more likely to be quiet and not engaged and people do assume that what they're thinking is what you're thinking falsely often. But one thing I do, especially when I'm facilitating or leading meetings, is to engage the people who are quiet. And, and um, I use I do it by going around the room. We didn't hear from you. Let's go around the room and uh, make sure we hear from everyone. And uh, this gives the opportunity for people to share their thoughts, concerns, questions, whatever comes up. Great tip. Janice? Um, a little, a little, a little bit about what my former uh, uh, the colleagues have said here, and I just like to kind of add about the sense of belonging sacrificed to allow others to feel comfortable. It's the digital divide, and when I think about generations in the workplace who we're trying to train, and those who just don't know perhaps how to use Zoom or they're used to picking up the phone and calling for information. And now suddenly they're having to fill out online forms. And so I think, I think there's a sense of that where they used to feel like they were part of society. And now they feel like society has, has traveled on in the digital space beyond their abilities. And that's my two cents. <laughs> Good point. I mean, I mean, that's an excellent point. Um, and well taken because that may that may indirectly also play with you know age right um, and and people may not think it but kind of a discriminatory practice towards that even though it may look like oh it's just technology you need to catch up with how things are going right now and not taking into account well you know 
it might be a, a, a difference of the good and the bad with that. Oh, this is great. So, I, I mean, like the business case, right? I think you all all kind of just spoke to it of why um, diversity by either gender or even ethnicity leads to like greater um, performance and percent and percentile uh, quartile, you know, and earnings. Uh, McKinsey and company did a study um, a few years ago, I believe it was a 20, I think it was 2020 actually, and showed um, the differences 2014, 27, 2019, um, and the increase. And it's, it's a lengthy study, we put the link, but you should take a take a um, the opportunity to kind of read through it. And part of it is the notion of you don't have this group think, right? When you have people in the same room with like a group think, you don't have any fresh or new ideas. You don't have anyone else challenging. Like, you know, no, that's not right. That's, that's not right. That's not correct. We've seen in the mainstream media how a lot of times the mainstream media and companies have gotten it completely wrong. And you're wondering like, who approved that? <laughs> how did this make it? How did this make it without, who, who signed off on that? <laughs> it, it, they could clearly did not have a great representation in the room. And so it hurts them, right? It hurts the, their sales, it hurts everything. And so it is an advantage. Um, you can have a diverse group of experiences in the room and they'll outform the most smart individuals ever. And that's uh, considering that. So some of, um, you know, if you think about it, it's just, you know, as, as we grow towards business, as we think about, you know, the business case of DEI, um, it's important to know that, that companies are performing higher and even institutions um, with addressing hiring practices and their policies and procedures as, as they come to that. So I wanna kind of talk about some DEI myths, okay? Um, if you can think of any. So some of the myths, it's easy. <laughs> that, that, that is for sure a myth. <laughs> Diversity, equity, inclusion, inclusion practices. Um, it, I think people wanna, they think, oh my gosh, it's, it's you know, all I have to do is like I said, attend a training we're good or, or that compliance check off and that's not necessarily the case. Um, I think the second one is also true. People in minority groups are the best practitioners. <laughs> um, and that's, that's not the case either. Um, you don't have to belong to a subgroup to be the best practitioner in it. We all have teeth, right? We're not all dentists. <laughs> we use our teeth nonstop. <laughs> Putting DEI practice in place means lowering standards. We just saw the business case for it. It clearly doesn't lower standards. Um, but that's like a myth that, oh, if this workforce becomes more diverse or we have all women leading it, that is, it's, it, we have to look, no, or a racial, uh, you know, minoritized group. And then DEI officers should be housed in HR. Now this is a huge one, okay? Because as you can see, a lot of companies and corporations are opening jobs up cheap DEI I officers, and a lot of them are being housed in HR. Um, if a company or organization is really serious about changing the culture, this position should de report directly to the top, not through HR, okay? And I mean, that's kind of like the old way of doing things. 
And um, it shouldn't because again, um, HR a lot of times deals with benefits, um, some different type of employee relations, maybe with even with unions, and they just auto mash that that should be an HR function. They should work with HR. And all work should be performed by the chief diversity officer. Not one person cannot change an entire culture. And so it does take the entire um, um, business organization or corporation institution to infuse these practices in their day to day. So some truths. Policy change is the crux of breaking through DEI barriers. That's where it's going to happen. Best practices and policy changes, period. So um, just like Andy spoke of earlier, like, are, what are you asking your clients? What questions are you asking to actually put that in? You know, if you're starting to, you know, infuse certain questions, then that's going to show like, oh, wow, they're taking notes. The direct return on investment. Um, if you put it as your mainstream of practice, you will see your investment increase. And I talked about kind of the cultures that lack inclusion and trust have negative impacts. Again, um, in, 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 in the mainstream media, um, I can think of a number of commercials when H&M came out with a little image of a little boy that said the coolest monkey in the jungle. And it was of a little black boy. It, it, I mean, different types of tropes. It's, it's, you know, it definitely affected certain sales at H&M. And of course, sound hiring practices and trainings are vitally healthy and inclusive workplaces. Um, people looking at the pre-hiring, hiring, and post-hiring retention. You know, how, how if you if you want to recruit diverse talent, how are you going to make sure you're retaining them as well? Any other myths or truths that people have come across um, that you want to uh, take note of in this space? That you've wondered about? So what about like there are times that um, that people kind of minimize what diversity, equity, and inclusion are, like simplify it to race in some cases. So I think it's a myth that it just has to do with like even just these categories. I mean, I think um, you know, having someone with an East Coast perspective versus a West Coast perspective is including diversity too. Um, just it like, it's so broad to me. I know there's these categories that are defined, but like having representation of just a lot of different perspectives is, can make, it's, it's just a lot bigger than some people um, perceive it to be. Right. Exactly. A lot of people think, oh, it's just about race and or either gender, and that's it. And it's absolutely not. I mean, you have your protected categories, but at the same time, having um, perspective, and sometimes even in the com community college district uh, or systems, people are like, oh, we just want kind of community college district people because they only understand our systems um, versus someone maybe from a four-year institution or another system, um, opposed to saying like, you know, they actually might have some transferable skills <laughs> that may help benefit um, in the other way around. So very much so. Thanks for bringing that up. So a lot of people um, really conflate equality versus equity. They're, they're thinking like, okay, everyone should get the exact same thing so we can be fair. 
And it's really no fairness in um, giving everyone the exact same thing. I thought about, you know, when, um, and I'm definitely not trying to become political, whatever, but when the government gave everyone the, the same COVID test, I think every household received four kits, right? I was a household of one. I did not need four, four kits. Whereas I knew other household had, you know, households were much bigger. And, you know, I donated my kits to, to that household because they were short, right? So giving everyone the same thing didn't work out. Equity is trying to figure out, okay, what is each individual's needs, right? And so trying to determine it that way. Because in reality, the problem is when you give everyone the same thing that they deserve, the person that already has most even gets even more, right? Um, you know, I think about kind of the Silicon Valley area where I work and I kind of live in the district I belong to. I tell people all the time, people ask me, you moved all the way from Michigan to California to work for a community college district. Don't they have community college districts in Michigan? And I'm like, yes, they do, but they don't have them like um, the, co the college I work at. One overlooks the ocean, the other the bay and the mountains, and the other the mountains. The weather is different at all three campuses <laughs> on any given day. I mean, you couldn't ask for more. And see those homes in the background? Those are billion-dollar homes. Well, and we all have waterscapes on each of our campuses. Well, that's all great. But who can access our campus? Is anyone just going to be walking down the street and having to pass by our campus? No. So in what ways can we have other make our camp, camp, campus more accessible? Because it is in such beautiful a beautiful location, the most expensive location. And we did a lot of different things, especially during pre-pandemic, in terms of busing, you know, students in from the East Bay, giving them cards, everything, everything else, and just really promoting ourselves. Because the reality of the matter is, not that the people in our community didn't utilize our campus, but I mean, it was already set in a very beautiful community as it is. So how can other people have access? So at the end of the day, what you have to do is look at systems um, and institutional systems and look at what barrier is there. And you, what you wanna do is focus on removing the barrier. And so when we talk about equality, equity, um, and, and the difference and the liberation, that's, that, that's what you're doing. You're really um, addressing, you know, what what supports or inequities um, or systematic barriers can we replace and move is is really important. So I mean that that's any questions on the equality versus equity. So I, I think a lot of times people feel um, because they both start with E. Sometimes it's it's a bit it's a bit confusing. So I want to talk about next kind of like what um, what you could, like what could you commit to doing today? Like maybe just if we could kind of maybe go around thinking about, you know, your your work and 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 how you can maybe infuse this um, into your practice and into your work um, to kind of disrupt that status quo on micro and macro levels. So I'll give you a minute to kind of like think about it in ways that you think you can engage this into the center of your work. I usually do the popcorn. Uh, I can popcorn it to someone. <laughs> Let's see. 
Annie, I'm going to popcorn it to you first. Yeah, you bet. I think what um, has been really important and intentful um, over the last, I would say, three years, the impact of the pandemic really brought light to um, many things that impact our learners, our employers, and the work that we do. And so ensuring that all of our training programs have a checklist of looking at DEI from that lens has been an intentful effort here with our work at Butte. And that's ongoing and continual work that I think is important. So, um, you know, so for us, I, I would say offering DEI classes is critical, but also looking at our programs, who is delivering them, what diversity and the just the sheer depth and breadth of the strengths of each of the instructors and what they bring and what diverse elements of those programs um, are important for us to all look at and including how we all engage with one another from a statewide perspective, inviting those voices and inviting um, us to be challenged so that we can grow. Exactly, thank you. Anyone else have any um, ideas in terms of way that, what you could do today in terms of your practice? Dave, did you want to? Well, one of the things that that um, has be, become clear in our practice is um, we sometimes fall short in in terms of our our best intentions in terms of uh, outreach in diversifying the conversation. And what we have been intentionally doing probably for about the past year and only the past year, so I'm not, no reason to pat myself on the back for it, is uh, reaching out to um, community-based organizations that, um, uh, you know, work full-time uh, in communities that we're ho hoping to engage with um, and, and partnering with them to get the, the message out. So we found a big uh, benefit in um, utilizing trusted messengers to engage communities who haven't felt belonging and who feel invisible. Um, and just because we go out there and say, hey, we, we, you know, we really do wanna hear from you now, uh, that we haven't always had the credibility. Um, and so we're bringing partners along who, uh, who help, uh, you know, suggest different ways for us to ensure that we have a uh, broad voices at the table. That's good. Partnership and collaboration is huge. I mean, that's definitely an action item in terms of being able to do that. Partner with different entities. Sorry. I would like to Sorry. make Thank a comment. You. Oh, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Matt. I'll be quick. I just want to say that uh, one thing that is like comes up on my mind is um, managing the conversation around microaggressions because often when pe when that topic comes up people say 
um, are, are we being overly sensitive? And I can't say anything without offending somebody. And something like, you know, you know my intentions, you know me, you've worked with me. And, and so, um, we like how do, how how do you navigate that conversation and how do you learn about the potential for um, insulting people without knowing that you're you know you're you're offending them? So um, yeah, that's what's on my mind, and I think I can use some training in it. Right, I think I think microaggressions are huge in it, in training and microaggressions because people always want to look at the intent instead of the impact. And so shifting the conversation to somebody, I don't know how many times I've heard a thousand times, like, oh, that wasn't my intent. I was well intended. Well, when you now focus it back on you, it's still now it's, um, it's, it's, it's making it seem like for the other person that the impact in terms of how they really felt maybe maybe perceived as not real. And so anytime people engage in like microaggressions, I think obviously it starts with that unconscious bias that then turns into that microaggression and learning how to respond, making people explain themselves. Like, well, how do you think that person feels? Not how, whether or not you're well-intended or you didn't mean it that way. This has had an impact on somebody else. Um, and then turn around saying, well, I didn't mean it that way. Then again, just says, you know, well, you're not giving truth to that person's lived experience, even if you didn't intend it that way. And so it's, it's ways to call people in. Um, and we've addressed that, you know, um, instead of calling people out, because a lot of times you call people out about stuff. And it's, it's, it's certain times and places you have to call people out that calling people in, it can be turned into a learning experience and opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll be brief, but we just had a training that involved students or participants that were so different from the population that the instructors normally teach. So we really took a lot of time to preface their training, both for curriculum considerations, level, language, vocabulary, space where the training is going to happen. Where, you know, they're not they're not seasoned students. They're, stu they're folks that are not in school and are actually in a program. We're trying to introduce them to Cuesta. So we spent quite a bit of time with meetings on understanding who the students are and how their approach may differ because the students from or much more diverse population academically you know in all all frames so so i think that sensitivity has grown over the last few years on our end because we've seen it not work because we went in with a cookie cutter mm. as if everybody's the same kind of learner everybody's the same kind of student and it just wouldn't work yeah, that's I think that's good. The like the cultural competency of um, learning, you know, who is your who is your audience, and I think that um, is important because you can't go in with the cookie cutter. That's going back to treating everyone equally, thinking everyone learns the same, um, and everything else. So that so thank you. And I think I mean another thing, I mean like life in general. I think we should always know that we don't know everything. And, and be in a space of being willing to learn um, and try to understand someone else's perspective. And I think as long as we're coming from that space and we're, we're open, um, a lot of growth can occur. Right. 
and, and take and exactly and taking it as like learning opportunities, right? Um, and going even back to microaggressions, um, because sometimes people are like, well, I was just asking, I didn't know. Um, with Google, <laughs> YouTube, and so much out there, I always say, you know, if you if you go to the doctor and the doctor came in and said, oh my goodness, you have this disease, but I have to go right away, I'll follow up with you tomorrow. You'd be on your phone Googling whatever this disease is that you don't know about, right? You wouldn't wait for his phone call or her phone call or their phone call the next day. You would immediately do your homework and research then and then follow up. So even having that base, like I said, coming in with some type of cultural competency to understand someone else um, before you kind of like uh, create a micro inequity. So there are things that you can do today and um, inserting your process. And so I think we can continue the conversation um, as well. Um, this is also some of just, you know, kind of, since we have like about five minutes to kind of wrap up and I just want thoughts and, 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 and credits. I did want to kind of highlight yeah, Aram and Cynthia is on the phone. And like I said, we're a team effort. We love doing this work. We have different um, expertise in different ways in terms of working with people. But um, I know I've uh, worked with Annie and some other folks on the call in terms of different training topics and series and sample offerings and digging deeper and by different dyes of microaggressions or unconscious bias um, or different trainings to help really um, train the, the trainer or make this part of your work. Um, Cynthia or, or Irma, do you have kind of anything to add um, since you're on the call? We're, we're really tag teaming sometimes on this, but I know we just had an hour. I'll start. I would just say that um, I'm one really honored to be on this call and hearing all these great comments from all of you. So thank you for letting us be part of it. And um, I'm a trained life coach and also DEI facilitator trainer. And, um, and I just love helping people scale their businesses and do better work and, and bring DEI topics to the top of mind for people. So, um, and I'm loving working with Irma and, and Lanaisha. I've learned so much working with them and, and we really are a great team. I'm grateful. Thank you, Cynthia. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to just um, uh, introduce myself and just thank you for having us and, um, and sharing your part of your journey in terms of culture and what have you seen in your workplaces. And um, as uh, Monaisha, uh, um, you know, stated in the myths and and what is true, DEI is is not an easy um, uh, project to get. It's not one uh, you do it once, one training or one review, one strategic plan, and that's it. It's a journey. That's what they say, or it's just getting in your mindset of of how you can create a. a, a, a a culture where everyone has the same opportunity to succeed. And you need a teamwork and a collaboration. And um, I will be happy to be part of your journey. Uh, uh, Monaisha, Cindy and I have been partnering together for uh, supporting uh, other leaders and, and organizations uh, in, the, in their uh, DEI effort. So um, we're all ears and thank you for uh, having us. Thank you, um, Irma and Cynthia. I, I, I want to kind of leave with this. I think this is like powerful in terms of we talked about representation and, and the diversity of, of the intersectionality of all of us um, to include. I think this uh, speaks volumes to it. Um, 
So that's, I'm just gonna play this. I just want to thank everyone um, for your participation and um, engaging in this dialogue with us. Um, I wish you the best of luck as you finish out the day um, and continue to engage this into your practice. So thank you. Oh, Mo and Isha, thank you so very much. And Cynthia and Irma, we just appreciate what your team is doing, for, uh, hopefully more than just across our state, but it's, it's such an amazing topic. And I 
I hope everybody um, really takes a moment to, to, especially that one slide, what each of us can do individually on this topic is so important because I think it starts with us. And uh, I, I appreciate you opening my eyes and ears to a, a lot of new ideas in, along this topic. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, have a wonderful afternoon. Stay with us, all three of you, if you'd like. You don't have to leave, and uh, but we are going to move on with our day. Um, so, oh, that was wonderful. I hope everybody enjoyed that presentation. It really causes me to stop and do some thinking. So I'm going to just share our next slide. Here we go. So now <clears throat> the next speaker is John Milburn. And Dave, I don't know if you're going to join him or not. We talked back and forth about that, but you've got John Milburn, who's the Interim Vice President for Workforce and Economic Advancement with the College of the Canyons, and which is a, a recent promotion for him. We're really proud of him. And they're going to wrap up our day together and be our last presentation to share a lot of very important work that's going on with the statewide collaborative group. And I was gonna say this group especially works very, very hard. They have a lot of meetings behind the scene, scenes and they really advocate on behalf of all contracted practitioners throughout our state. And you'll hear some of the wonderful stories that um, and projects that they've brought that are statewide projects. They seek to develop relationships with stakeholders to bring attention to the good work you do in your region and to identify and secure funding for contracted programs. They're also known as the Upscale California Consortium, and they're composed of 28 California community colleges that deliver customized employee training and workplace education. So John, I'm gonna let you kick it off and you've, let me stop sharing and pull up your slides. Thank you, Margaret and everyone. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> I think that's all I can say right at the moment is um, that was, you know, impactful uh, what, what we just experienced. Whoops, that's not the one I want. Um, let me get the right screen here. Do you guys see my PowerPoint? We do. Or the slides? Okay, let me. Yeah, looks good. Okay, good. Let me bring them over here so I can see them because for some reason I'm not. Um, can you see them okay still, everyone? And hear me okay? Okay, good, thank you. Uh, been a little technically challenged recently, so double checking on that. Um, I, I welcome everyone. Uh, it's, it's great to be here with you today. Um, as Margaret mentioned, my name is John Milburn and I'm the Interim VP of Workforce and Economic Advancement at College of the Canyons. And thank you for that acknowledgement, uh, Margaret. Really appreciate that. Um, I know many of you here today, and, and I'm really excited to get connected with, with the others of folks that I haven't really met yet. And I also want to take a moment and thank Margaret and Faith for hosting us today, for having the virtual summit, for making it happen, um, and, and giving us this opportunity to connect and share and, uh, and, you know, and learn uh, about what we can do together. Um, so with that, I'll share a little information about our collaborative uh, that we have had various names over, over um, the years. Uh, so if you see here in my overview slide, 
we started out, um, at least where I came into it, we were kind of, we kind of formed a name of the community college ETP collaborative or contract ed collaborative sometimes. And, um, you know, for me, this collaborative began, I believe it was 2013, 2014. I was trying to verify that. And, and I wanted to say too, please, uh, other folks that could be presenting on the collaborative overview and update, please jump in if you have something to add on, on one of these slides. Um, so uh, in 2013, 2014, I, I termed this the ETP crisis. Um, that's what my file folder said and, and my email threads, I created a folder of that. ETP had, was facing significant shortfalls and was considering significant cuts um, and then enter Eldon Davidson. And uh, I say that because Eldon is, is my first contact with this idea of a collaborative. And I started working with Eldon and, and others that I'll mention in a minute, um, many that are on this call. Uh, and, and we formed the, the Community College ETP Collaborative to support and protect the multiple employer contracts, known contract holders known as MECs with the Employment Training Panel Funding, ETP. And that uh, effort was extremely successful. Um, if I recall, ETP was considering cutting, making significant cuts to the MECs directly in order to balance their budget. Um, the amount they allocated to MECs, I think it kind of matched how much they thought they were short. And so um, they, they had proposed cutting the funding and that would have affected the community college's um, ability to support our employers. And so we banded together and we started an advocacy effort uh, to um, go to ETP and speak at public, uh, at the, publicly at the, at the panel meetings. Um, once they started their policy meetings, we, we met there and, and spoke and submitted documents. Um, and really, uh, we also, a, a major effort was underway that, that Eldon and others headed up to gather data uh, about how effective we were with ETP, because that was really not known. And those advocacy efforts went on and grew <clears throat> and have led all the way to where we are today, where we, we have these larger um, you know, like in our case at College of the Canyons, $1.5 million uh, ETP uh, contract, the largest we've ever had. Um, and, and of course, the, uh, the governor's allocation and the state legislature's allocation to ETP to be administered directly to the community colleges and the California Community College Fund. Um, that, you know, the advocacy led to all of that as a big piece of it. Uh, I'm sure there are other efforts too. Um, but the... It, it, <laughs> It was a, a scary time and also an exciting time. And out of that, you know, in our advocacy, it grew even more. Um, as we began, you know, many of you might recall assembly bills. There were assembly bill 1457, I do think, and, and, and 1106. And I have to give a special mention to Linda Zorn um, and others, uh, Annie and Deanna uh, and, and others, of course, that really, worked an advocacy to help us um, come together to, to support the uh, the jobs and, and economic development group at our legislature. And we work closely with uh, 
Tony Simons, uh, who is a, you know, an a analyst for, for that committee. And, um, and the advocacy, I believe, was critical in this award that we now see. So where the colleges, we were able to not only protect our position and, and strengthen it within ATP as, as, as clearly demonstrated by the allocations now, um, but we grew, we, we grew our ability and, and, and grew our partnership with ETP and with other agencies, other groups um, that also support the MECs and, and so forth. So there, there was a lot there. I'm just sort of, you know, briefly talking about some things that took years and were part of the collaborative building um, uh, that we've done over the years. And again, you know, Please feel free to unmute and jump in if you, if you have a comment. Um, so part of that, out of that uh, effort, there, there was a particular summit just like this one, but it was in person up in, um, uh, I don't remember if it was in Sacramento or, but it was up north and I'm pretty sure, <laughs> but we all were getting together talking about this subject. How will we continue to protect and advocate for what we do as a group, as a collective, and in our case, as a collaborative. And out of that, um, uh, Margaret and, and, and Faith and, and others, you know, part of that was this uh, setting up of this webpage, um, Upscale California, hosted at the community college site, uh, where a lot of our stories are now posted that um, support what we're doing, share what we're doing and get the word out and let me see if this, this link will work. I'll just jump to the site real quick. Can you all see the website now? No? Okay, so. And John, we're not seeing your slides. If you had multiple slides to show us, we just see your cover slide. Just an oh, FYI. Okay. All right, thank you. Let me fix that. Thank you for that. I, I've been changing the slides and you guys didn't see it, so I must be on a wrong share. You might be sharing the wrong screen if you have yeah, I've got I've got too many up. I think that's my issue. Let me see if this one works. We're still tracking with you, John. Thank you. Okay. Do you see the Upscale California site now? We see the ETP site. ETP site. Okay. Well, let me switch over here. Now you see the blog site, right? Yeah. The yes. Okay. Good. Sorry about that, guys. I've been technically challenged lately. And I apologize. Um, but this, you know, this website was formed, and and you you if you're not aware of it, there's Great information here that uh, Margaret maintains and 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 Faith and you. There's stories. There's one about our uh, program there, Uniquely Able Academy. Uh, this response to COVID. Um, there's you know so these articles and a long list of, of of different resources and information available to those to all of us that are interested in developing contract education or supporting our contract education and, and other programs that fall under not for credit. Um, so, so this website became really important to us and gave us some visibility. Uh, and, 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 and for that, we, you know, we were, um, we're, we're feeling, we were able to get our story out a little better, but there's a lot more to do. Um, now, if I bring back up my, i sorry, I have to ask you this. Do you see my slides now? Okay, good. I got it on the right screen, hopefully. Thank you, Margaret. Thumbs up. So out of that, we also, um, well, at College of the Canes, we had a grant and, and 
when I shared with our chancellor what we were trying to do as a group, she uh, made arrangements for us to use part of that grant to pay for the development of a website, upskillcalifornia.com. And here, I just have a snapshot of it um, where, you know, where we're talking about our ability and desire to meet California's workforce challenge of the 21st century. And this is information coming from our past governor, current governor, and also uh, uh, other uh, efforts underway, nonprofits that's, that are really looking to, you know, what's California challenge going forward? And we know we're like a million jobs short, you know. Um, so let me just go to the website here. So in the home page here, you all can see the website, okay? Upskill California. We have, now this website will be updated again soon. Um, Annie and Eldon recently sent me some update information working with the web designer to get it posted and get everything reflected. So a little bit of what I show you may be a little out of date, but, it's, but it gives you the general idea of what we're talking about. At this website, um, we talk about, you know, what is upskill? What does that mean? And, and we thought it was interesting that, you know, the verb upskill is to teach an employee additional skills. Um, so it couldn't get any more directly related to what we do. Uh, and, we, and we like that. Um, we're in alignment with other efforts underway that were underway and are still underway to support uh, the workforce and our employers in California. So, you know, a little bit about... Um, you can see here on this site, we, we connect with the uh, with our site that I just mentioned that Margaret manages. So we, we'll pull up um, articles here. And again, needs to be updated. The most current's not up here. Um, our research, we have some pulled out some of the more interesting points that, uh, that highlight what we've done. Um, now, um, the report, uh, I, I back up just a minute. The report came out in February 2020, and the report championed by Eldon and others I just mentioned um, shows what we had done with the, uh, I think approximately $10 million that we had, you you know, all collectively had access to from ETP and what we did with that because those results results are pretty well tracked, and this is really impressive. Um, what, what we're able to do collectively. Uh, so here's our expected outcomes where we're asking for a large investment. You see there 50 million. Well, that number's kind of familiar. Um, it wasn't that much that got allocated, but in the May revise 20, whatever that was, <laughs> of the governors, uh, the years blur together during COVID, sorry. Um, Governor Newsom had allocated 42 million or, you know, wanted 42 million to go to ETP to be allocated to support the workforce through the community college programs. And it ended up being this $15 million, you know, after, as we all know how that goes, but that is still just a major accomplishment, I, I feel, and I think many of us do, it's just a major accomplishment for the colleges, especially for our not-for-credit contract ed, you know, workforce training centers. And, um, and I believe this report was critical. I believe that a lot of people read this report and it influenced them and it, it helped shape the idea that, hey, we need to pay attention to not only employment training panel, but the community colleges. And together, they're, they're, they're almost like our small engine workforce, small engine, the engine in, in California that keeps California so strong. Many times it's these smaller companies. Well, it was kind of like that, in, in my opinion. So this, this report highlights some of the things we do. Um, we're growing the number of community colleges participating 
And these are projections that we were hoping to achieve by certain, you know, by 2025. Um, number of training conducted, we're, we're at uh, 45,000 number of, of, of upscale trainings. We're wanting to increase that and projected. Um, this was based on, you know, getting an allocation. And I think that this really uh, got the attention of a lot of movers and shakers and helped them really see the impact of upscale trainings uh, was huge in our workplace. And, you, you know, the data was a little bit hidden. It wasn't pulled out. And that's where um, people like uh, Eldon, uh, Linda Zorn, Annie, Deanna, um, and forgive me for not mentioning everyone else. I'm, I'll, I'll go over some more names here in a minute. But those folks really uh, made this happen. Um, and so this website is to feature our collaborative and to be able to share what we're doing. Um, and again, needs to be updated. Uh, it's not quite there yet. Here on this page, we have this map that again, this will be updated very soon to reflect more current information, but it's, it's not too far off. Um, we show, you know, if you see the little triangles, the triangles are MEX, multiple employer contract holders with ETP. The green dots are subcontractors of those MECs because not every college needs to be a MEC or has the capacity to be a MEC at the moment. They might need to grow their ability and that's where we subcontract. And you've heard many of those mentioned today. Um, I think I, I just was remembering what uh, Israel said when he said he contracted from several of, of us, uh, not, not me, but others. And that's how he grew his program and he's continuing to grow there. Um, but you see, you know, uh, Butte in the North and uh, Chafee College has done so much. Um, there's College of the King is listed, College Sequoias with Jorge uh, uh, Eldon, Kern. Um, and again, this list isn't complete. We need to update it again. Deanna, uh, Sasha, Santa Monica College. Um, and I know like, you know, Mount, Mount San Antonio College is also a MEC, but they weren't listed here and stuff like that. So we'll get that updated. They're listed in the panel here, but not down the side. Um, but this, I think once we give this a refresh and we add some additional information, this can be a good site for us to going forward to help promote the collaborative. Um, just a quick note, here's, here's a, you know, this, this bill information. Uh, this is the AB um, number 1106. But the kind of thing that I really, really, you know, means a lot to me, I think is when I see, let's see, bill information there. Um, well, what I was going to show you, I think, I think I, I lost it there, um, was the um, all I votes, no nay votes. So senators in our legislature and assembly voted, and correct me if I'm wrong again, you guys, 100% unanimously to support these bills. The bills weren't directly funded, but the funding came through in the other channel, which is the $15 million that we've got allocated in the other 50 million dollars that ETP was allocated in expansion funds. So um, I, I, I was so impressed by the idea that uh, there wasn't a single no vote, uh, you know, against us. Really, I think it showed the power that we possess and 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 the work that we have to do. So that's a little bit about Upscale California. Um, the report I, I just kind of showed you some of that information already. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about current projects and watching the time. Current statewide projects, 
We are currently partnering in a pilot project with Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. You've heard about this before, probably wondering what happened to it. And a lot of time has gone by, but that's partially because of COVID and other uh, delays that we've experienced, but also because this is the future of work. That project really represents the future of work. It's a partnership that we're developing for the future and it's gonna, it just takes time. Um, but that's a, it's, it's a, a larger partnership with Amazon Web Services, uh, a second one, utility line clearance, arborist training. I'm, I'm going to go over all three of these in just, just a minute here in the next slides. And then the CNA to LVN are just the three that I put up here. There might be more, but those are the three I was aware of at the moment. Um, so the Cal Poly Community College Partnership. Uh, this is really important to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, the extended education uh, division that houses Cal Poly's California Cybersecurity Institute. And that institute was awarded uh, uh, Amazon training partner designation, Amazon Web Services training partner, which is, is not common. I think they're the first university to be awarded that designation. So they have some very specialized content and their instructors there in, in highly technical field are able to deliver Amazon Web Services uh, content. And so Cal Poly reached out to us to, to upskill California to ask us, can we help deploy this training to smaller and mid-sized businesses um, that aren't really having access or aren't even aware of the opportunity and maybe not even really uh, ready to pay attention to how they should protect their intellectual property and their data. So you can see the partnership, Cal Poly, Upscale California, the Cybersecurity Institute, Amazon Web Services uh, partner, and Employment Training Panel because Employment Training Panel is a partner in this, not only through our funding, but also as a, a partner. Um, and, and part of that being the cadence uh, for uh, defense um, protection and cybersecurity, which is so important for our, our state and our country. Um, so here's an example of some of the AWS certifications uh, that are going to be coming available. Uh, we're gonna start with, I believe, um, foundational, more. Uh, there's there's training program under cloud IT and some initial um, cybersecurity training. But you can see one of the reasons um, we decided to do this, and I'd like to mention Jose Anaya as well, who's been critical and key in this effort, uh, is the depth of the catalog, uh, curriculum catalog available at AWS is, is deep. And, and Cal Poly has some too. And so we're trying to set up an arrangement between the community colleges and a university like Cal Poly that we can access that content. We can access those programs and deliver them to our clients. It's, it's a bit taking a bit to get it done, but this is coming, it's, it's coming soon. One of the things that, uh, this is a past flyer, you see there 2021, um, but uh, Amazon Web Services and Cal Poly have offered to do what they call discovery days for our colleges and our clients. And this would be where they give kind of an overview of some of the training that they can do so that companies representatives and even college representatives can get a sense of what's available and how could we deliver this uh, training and who, who would we, how would we reach out to our clients to deliver and make, make them aware. So Discovery Day is a chance to invite companies in to see it firsthand and go from there. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, Eldon, jump in if you have anything. Um, uh, moving on, because I'm looking at the time again, I know Margaret, boy, she runs the time, she runs the clock. So I'll try and get done here in just a second. Um, the utility line clearance arborist training, I hope to get be part of this very soon. Um, this is a fantastic program that Annie uh, up at Butte has been championing 
and uh, partnering with PG&E and, and now uh, many others uh, and colleges all the way up and down the state um, to build a strong safety foundation for utility arborists. And this directly impacts what? Forest fires, right? Our fires is, is, is really what this is born out of. Um, and we know how damaging those can be. Uh, so here's just the agenda they, that one of the agendas from, from a past document that I did a snapshot of, uh, Annie, here, just because it had some pictures. And it shows you, though, there's a full DACUM done behind this, a full DACUM design for this project. Um, lots of hours put in and lots of people contributing to make the statewide project robust. You look there, training program, five weeks, 200-hour course. Um, that is really attractive to us with ETP contracts, too. So uh, there's there's a kind of a win-win here. Um, so we're excited to be part of this. Again, it's taking a little longer for College of the Canes to get on board, but I know many other colleges are already rocking and rolling, and we're excited to be going on this as soon as we can. Um, just another shot there. Annie showed you that statewide map. This is a little different one. It's a little furry, blessy, uh, uh, a little blurry there. But um, you again, you can see the areas where it's happening in the state, and it's very exciting. Um, lastly, uh, the CNA to LVN. Um, again, I didn't have much uh, good graphics to put here, so I kind of snipped something out of a past document just to have it there. But there's been a program underway statewide to help train uh, CNAs and CNAs to LVNs, I believe. Uh, and, and of course, uh, healthcare couldn't be any more important than it's probably one of the most important sectors now. If it wasn't always important, it's even more important now. And we have to support our healthcare sector. So many RNs and workers in healthcare have been through so much with the pandemic that uh, our local hospital is talking about people retiring and changing jobs at a record rate because they are burnt out and they're tired and they just can't do it anymore. And that's, I think, kind of um, that should be something we we're, should be concerned about so that our healthcare system remains strong. And I, I think we all want to be part of, of doing that. So, um, this is, again, something we're, we're not doing right here at College of the Cans, but I know it's a statewide project and we're, we're interested in being involved as it moves forward. Um, and with that, I will give a couple minutes left over to Margaret to finish up. Uh, just want to thank everyone. And if I if I left anybody out that was critical to Upscale California, I apologize. Um, you, you all of my colleagues that have been involved with this, you guys are just fantastic. Uh, and I've been proud to be a part of it. And, and I hope other colleges will consider joining the collaborative in whatever way makes sense for you. Um, just like customized training, we take each college as it comes and, and try to work to make sure we can assist that college in growing their contract ed not for credit programs. Um, and so that's it. That's all I have for now. Thank you. Thank you, John, so, so very much. I, I really wanted to end the day on this great upbeat, you know, all the good work that the collaborative is doing and the wonderful statewide projects. And, and you did that, you did that. So good job, great job. Eldon, did you have something, you have your hand up? Uh, just a side note, um, to give Butte some credibility, you know, this was also the time of the corporate college and changes. So we were able to bring two concepts together and actually, I want to put a side note, it was actually, Annie, I think on your side, you had the upskill brand or logo already in place. So I want to make sure they get the, the true credit because it was several people who came together and definitely corporate college was one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Alden. I need, we need a little bit more. We could talk all day about it because there's 
so much to tell, but it took a, took a lot of people. So if you have questions um, for John, um, I'm, I'm gonna take, how about if I take two questions because I don't wanna keep you past your two o'clock time, but any questions for John? And you can, you can email him after this mm -hmm. um, event. You've got John's email in his slides that Faith so graciously posted in the chat. Okay. So, boy, it went fast for me. I don't know if it went fast for you. <laughs> you know, it's always so much fun when we can all be together, even if it's virtually. So in closing, I just want to thank the very many presenters and facilitators, our advisory board, and the amazing Faith Briley, who, who makes everything go smoothly. Um, just thank you all for sharing your knowledge and your skill sets to make this day happen. I wish we could do it twice a year because when you hear the conversations, it's, it's, it's evident that we need to talk more sometimes and share more. But we do um, have an opportunity for you to let Faith and I know what other topics you'd like us to cover and we can do a monthly webinar for you, which is what we've been doing pretty, we, we didn't do as many this year, but in the past we've done almost a monthly webinar on specific topics that you requested. So she has posted in chat the um, survey. And if you fill that out, we always look at it. That's how we develop our topic lists and things. So please take a moment to fill that out. Faith will also be emailing that link to everybody. And we will be developing a Dropbox, probably, I'm going to say a Dropbox, with all the slides in it, with um, Israel's script. If you were in the marketing sales, he shared a really great script he uses to help connect with employers in order to sell them on the idea of the customized training. And we'll have every other presenter slides um, in there. Any parting questions or any parting things you want to share with the group before we close it out today? Okay, seeing none, <laughs> I'm watching chat and everybody's just saying thank you. And I, 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 really, um, I really appreciate, again, our advisory board and, and working with somebody as wonderful as Faith every day to, to bring this to you and wish each of you a lot of luck and a lot of good wishes in the work that you do in your individual communities and regions. And Deanna, you have your hand up. I just wanted to say that I, I wish and I hope that we can get back to in-person summits. I think that um, definitely the networking, the ability to meet everybody and, and talk with them is so important. And uh, I would love to see that we get back to that. Yeah, I, I would too, Deanna, I would too. And maybe 2023 will be the year, you know? It's, it's been, oh, I, it's, just, it's been hard to just do it virtually and it isn't the same. And we've tried to make it fun and interactive as much as we can on a Zoom call, but you, you're right. Uh, In-person is always the best. So. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I want all I of you out there and achieve great things. You've got more knowledge to do that. You've got each other to lean on and you've got Faith and I to help answer any questions or get you in touch with the people because I definitely don't have all the answers for sure. I know that. So I go search out there for you and try to get you connected with who can help you. Thank you, Margaret. This was amazing. Thank okay. you, everybody. Thank you. I agree. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Great to see you. Have fun. Faith and I are going to stay on and have a private chat. So if you want to just take your leave of absence and have a wonderful afternoon, everybody take care.
Thanks, Margaret. Thank you, Alistair. Take care. Faith, it's fun to watch the I'm going to should we stop recording?